Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. You are looking at a remarkable idea. An idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends are about to witness this idea become a reality. For this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. The freedom of speech is being taken. Say it, sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at. Including BS. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days, and you'll find the 24-7 network, or go to michaeldeacon.com. Now, joining me tonight is Dr. James Fetzer. Jim is a former Marine Corps officer. He has published widely on the theoretical foundations of scientific knowledge, computer science, artificial intelligence, cognitive science, and evolution and mentality. His research has continued on 9-11 and expanded to Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, Orlando, Dallas, and beyond. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. And now, without further ado, let's bring in Jim. Jim, what's going on? Oh, Michael, it's a real pleasure to be with you. If I had a long day, I was up at 3.30. I could not. Sleep, so I just came down and went to work, and I've been going strong ever since. My goodness. Well, thank you for being here with all of us here tonight. It's been a long time since you've been here. Well, I, I love coming on with you. There's something about your manner, your voice, uh, everything about you that to me is very comfortable, Michael. I probably enjoy you as a host more than any other, and I just... I just feel that way, so it's always for me a great pleasure. I feel the very, very same, and thank you very much for saying that. I really do appreciate you being here and spending some of your time uh, with all of us, like I just said. And, yeah, Jim, doing the program with you has always been fun, and, my goodness, what a week it's been. We survived yet another one here on this island Earth, Jim, and 2018 has been surely rolling along. It's quite remarkable. So much has happened, Jim. Uh, never a dull moment, right? 
Well, Michael, I'm so distressed because there's so many cons being played. I mean, the, 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 the left, and, and I used to be a part of it. I mean, I, I voted for Bill Clinton twice. I voted for Barack Obama twice. When it came to Hillary versus Trump, for me, it was no contest. Uh, he, he was far more promising, original, authentic. She is so massively corrupt, sadistic, self-centered that, that he would, you know, was talking about getting us out of the Middle East, how we'd was, you know, wasted, squandered trillions of dollars. He wanted to reallocate that to make America great again. To me, that was enormously appealing. Uh, and, and it turns out that there were many voters who felt as I did. Studies by Boston University and the University of Minnesota have shown that it was voters in rural counties in uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin, who, which had suffered lots of casualties from the Middle East wars, I'm sure many missing arms and legs, who voted for Trump in the belief that he was the less likely to continue the wars. And, and it was that that subtle, Michael, the less likely. But look at his extraordinary trajectory politically. I mean, the man executes a hostile takeover of the GOP. He defeats 17 other candidates, then takes on one of the most powerful political machines of our time. I and mean, when you put the Clintons and the... It, it, and the Obama, you know, machines together. I mean, that is truly formidable, and nevertheless, he pulled it off. You know, I never thought he would be the president, to be completely honest with you, Jim. Well, neither did I'm uh, shocked. Hillary or an awful lot of... I'm still shocked. Of, of, of Well, it, what's shocking about it to me, really, Michael, is they've never got over it. I mean, you know, we have... Uh, a system where we have periodic votes and somebody wins and somebody loses. And right, right. As a rule, we we just pick ourselves up off the floor and continue to persevere as adults, but none of that has happened here. I mean, from the inauguration itself, there was pissing and moaning. There was all this flap about the size of the crowd. It turned out the park uh, police had kept the crowd out uh, during early photographs, so it looked as though it weren't full all the way up to the Washington Monument, when in fact, actually, as the inauguration took place, it was obvious it was. Virtually every claim he's ever made that for which he's been tarred and feathered, such as, for example, the birther issue that Obama was not qualified to be president of the United States because he wasn't born in the United States. He was right about that. He was right about Ted Cruz's father being on the fringe of the JFK assassination. That's one of my areas of expertise. And uh, he was in front of the trademark with others whom I know. One I got to know personally by the name of Chauncey Marvin Holt, who actually had participated in the assassination by preparing a set of 50. 15 uh, forged Secret Service credentials for use in and around Dealey Plaza and some of the uncropped photographs. He's the short guy with very long arms in the foreground. And he told me everyone there was a part of Operation Mongoose, which, of course, was an uh, anti-Castro operation, and that included Ted Cruz. 
Uh, uh, Michael, believe it or not, I was astonished to discover that he had also, this is Rafael Cruz, been on Main Street in Dallas the day of the assassination. And indeed, I had used a rather famous color photograph by a Dallas photographer on the cover of my first collection of expert studies on JFK entitled Assassination Science, published 1998 important book because it was just chock full of scientific studies that shattered the cover-up, proved that the autopsy x-rays had been altered to conceal a fist-sized blowout at the back of the head, uh, proved there was evidence of a second shot to the head, uh, 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 proved that the, the brain seen in the National Archives and photographs and diagrams was not the brain of JFK, uh, began a, a, what would become a very uh, elaborate investigation uh, with lots of studies that suggested that the Bruder film had been edited extensively to conceal the true causes of the uh, death of the president. I mean, it, it was maybe historically the most important book of my life. Yes, and, and Jim, before we jump into anything here, I did want to ask you if you are good with taking questions at any time with the audience here. Sure. Yeah, I'm fine. That's fine. That's okay. fine. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Okay. If anybody wants to join in, that number is. Yeah. yeah. yeah I don't mind. They can they can pop in any time they want. And, okay. You know, Perfect. Not restrictive on subjects either. But the fact is that the photograph I used on the cover. When I took a look, there was Rafael Cruz on the cover with Antonio Vesciana who is the founder of Alpha 66, one of the most vicious of the anti-Castro organization. So he was right about that. He said the system was rigged for Hillary. He was right about that. Even Hillary's claims to have won the popular vote, Michael, believe it or not, turned out to be false. Richard Charnin, who's a brilliant statistician, who's got two books on the theft of elections using electronic voting machines, has gone back over the total vote and recalibrated and actually Trump won by about 13 million votes, the popular vote. Yeah, by the way, that number for those who want to call in is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Me and Jim will take on any question here. Um, Jim, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry to do that. Of course. You know, as far as the system being rigged for Hillary, it, 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 we have new documents, by the way. They came into my possession last week about uh, the DNC buying, uh, the, the, the Hillary campaign basically buying the DNC and, and guaranteeing that they had control of the entire operation so that, you know, we had Debbie Wasserman Schultz sabotaging Bernie's campaign, That's giving right. Hillary yes. 13 primaries that Bernie had legitimately won. Uh, this was, by the way, what contributed to the leak. I mean, there was no Russian hacking. I'll go into that in considerable detail because it's so crucial today. But it was Seth Rich, who was an IT guy who was working for the DNC, who was a Bernie Sanders supporter, who became disillusioned with what was going on. And it appears with the assistance of Kim.com, he downloaded the files into a memory stick and then transferred them to a 
a British ambassador to Uzbekistan by the name of Craig Murray, who's also an intelligence analyst and the head of a college, who was a friend of Julian Assange, who provided them to Julian, who began to publish them. And, you know, none of this had to do with any Russian hacking. In fact, there were two investigative journalists who followed Hillary's campaign at this, and at the start of 2017, they published a book entitled Shattered, reporting there for all the world to see that uh, John Podesta and Robbie Mook had, uh, within 48 hours of Hillary's concession speech, made up out of whole cloth the Russian hacking meme to for, for multiple reasons. One, to distract from the uh, incompetent campaign they had run. I mean, Hillary, just to give one example, never even came to Wisconsin during the campaign. I mean, I reside here near Madison. She never even showed up. She was so arrogant, and they had it so rigged. They were publishing fake polls that were oversampling Democrats, women, and self-described liberals. Uh, they were photoshopping events like in Florida, say in Coral Gables, uh, Trump would legitimately be drawing 30,000 in St. Petersburg. Hillary would be drawing 300. So they photoshopped the crowd to make it look like, you know, the gymnasium was packed when it was anything but. In some ways, they may have become intoxicated with their own propaganda, but we have you know, poll directors were specifying how they needed to rig the poll to give Hillary support where they had a vast number of campaign offices that they couldn't even man. Uh, and, and it was just incredible. The whole thing was totally rigged for Hillary. Even the election was rigged for Hillary. It's just that turnout for Trump overwhelmed it. There's a limitations as to how far you can go in rigging elections. Uh, Charnin explained to me, for example, when we looked at what had happened here in Wisconsin when Scott Walker, who's been, in my opinion, a complete disaster for the state, he took $800 million out of public education. Who knows what happened to it? He turned down $800 million in federal spending to finance the high-speed rail from Milwaukee to Madison that was then going to proceed from Madison to Minneapolis so that they had to route the railway around the state of Wisconsin. I mean, this is incredibly stupid stuff. Uh, he unfunded the, the University of Wisconsin. I, I mean, he, he, he has undermined the, the pollution safeguards and all that. I mean, when I moved, to Wisconsin in 2006, after a 35-year career as a professor of philosophy, often right. principally courses in logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning. This was the most desirable state in the union to live. It had a strong tradition of support for public unions, for the labor movement. Uh, uh, La Follette uh, was, uh, you know, from Wisconsin. There were strong governors. Uh, uh, a tremendous commitment to public education, uh, tremendous a green state, very environmentally conscious, um, very sophisticated. It made Madison like the most desirable, attractive place for uh, talented people who are sophisticated and well-educated. And, and, and Walker has just reversed all of that. In fact, I typically describe him as seeking to turn 
Wisconsin into the Mississippi of the Midwest. I mean, it's that bad. So we had a very wonderful, attractive woman, Mary Burke, was the head of Trek Bicycle, very successful company. Uh, she, she was very well received. Uh, public was sick of Walker. Uh, and, and I was just dumbfounded when the, the uh, poll came out not very long before the election suggesting that Walker was in the lead by six points, 53 to 47. By all indications, it should have been precisely the opposite. We had had uh, Michelle Obama in the state twice. Uh, we had Barack here. We had the big dog, Bill Clinton. Democrats were wildly enthusiastic. And, and, and when it came out just the opposite, as I would have forecast, because actually Mary Burke ought to have won by that margin, I contacted Richard to take a look at what was going on. And he, he reviewed five different elections here in Wisconsin, beginning with Scott Walker's recall election, which he miraculously survived. I mean, I and my family were among the hundreds of thousands down at the state capitol protesting because of his busting the public unions and some of these other atrocities that were greatly weakening the viability of, of the state of Wisconsin and making it overwhelmingly less attractive to draw others from different regions to come here. Hundreds of thousands. I mean, the enthusiasm for that recall was just overwhelming. Well, he survived it, but none of us believed it. And when Richard took a look, he found not only had the election for Mary Burke for his re-election campaign for governor been rigged, Five different elections in Wisconsin have been rigged, including the recall election. And right. he explained me, he explained to me how it's done, Michael. He, he said, you know, if you're going to steal election, you have to go where the votes are. So here, here's an illustration. We actually published an article about it. Um, uh, what, let's see, it was entitled uh, vo vo uh, Election Theft versus Voter Fraud, where voter fraud is typically somebody voting and more than once or in more than one precinct or, you know, in some way they're ineligible. Voter fraud generally is very rare. Election theft, on the other hand, using electronic voting machines isn't rare at all. And what he found was, for example, in Milwaukee County, okay, this is a bastion of Democratic support. In Milwaukee County, it turns out that the greater the number of votes that were cast, the greater the percentage of votes that went to Scott Walker. So here you have the bastion of Democratic support in the state, and you're getting just the opposite of what you would expect. It was because it was rigged, and he found it in county after county, you know, for where the big votes were, that they'd stolen. So I publish this article with Richard Charnin entitled, uh, uh, voter uh, voter fraud versus election thefts, uh, Governor Scott Walker's re-election. And we laid it all out. And, and would you believe it or not? I mean, I got a certain amount of traction. It, uh, I was invited onto a, a, a popular show called The Devil's Advocates here, two pretty smart guys, uh, picked up on it and had me on for a half an hour segment uh, at the time, there was an alternative newspaper called the Capital Times. It's now folded into a weekly, but at, at the time, it was a daily, and they, on their electronic edition, they ran the story. Uh, I was actually at a political meeting. Uh, uh, Jim, Jim, by the, 
Jim, by the way, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I believe another another soul has joined us here. Caller, you are live on the air. What's going on? Hey, Michael. It's Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you, how are you doing, Frank? Good. You can hear me okay? Uh, now I can. Oh, excellent. And I, I wanted to say hello, uh, Mr. Fetzer. It's such a, uh, a great pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so, so much for, oh. for coming out tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I, I very much enjoy Michael and being on with him. It's a, for me a real pleasure. Yeah. You know, I, I was just, I heard something before I get on to what I was calling about, but I, I, I just heard you say something about there was a recount done and the popular vote had a 13 million Vote, yeah, uh, go to Richard for- Charnin's. Go, go to Rich. Go to Richard Charnin's website. I mean, listen. The, the the way in which it was rigged was multifaceted. They they passed a law. Uh, I think it was 2015 in California, a motor voter law. It sounds perfectly appropriate. So when you obtain your driver's license, you're automatically registered to vote. Except that in California, uh, illegal. Uh, you know, illegals are in, in allowed to obtain driver's license. Right. Right. You know, I mean, you want to talk about why California piled up this massive percentage? Of course, Trump didn't even count campaign in California. Uh, we no. also had Barack Obama. I mean, this guy's a president of the United States. He's sworn to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States going on a Latina station. Hi, Jim, by the way, I still got to ask you, do you still believe that Michelle Obama is a man. Absolutely. There's no question about it. Michelle has a package most women do not have, Michael. My goodness. Oh, there's a whole lot about this. Actually, she, as Michael Robinson, played football at Oregon State before she transferred to Princeton her sophomore year. Princeton, my own alma mater. Uh, it was all men when I graduated in 1962. Uh, uh, took her as a transfer and I think gave her cover for making her gender reassignment. Oh wow! Uh, but she has the 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 shoulders, the build of a man. I mean, there's all, there's a huge amount that goes into this. Uh, she appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show and she was dancing and you could see her package moving. And I believe she was yeah. Like, yeah, quite clearly in, uh, in 4K resolution, in fact. Um, the reason I was, I was, uh, contacting you, uh, tonight, Jim, was I wanted to know more about, like, the publishing side of things, because I know you're very pro- prolific. You've done a lot of work with, uh, Mr. Robert Steele, who's also very prolific as a, a writer of a, a great deal of this content, um, that you have worked so hard on. Have you been working on, uh, like, getting out of the typical, what Robert Steele has called the Google Gestapo? meaning all of the gamification and algorithm, you know, um, manipulation that's going on in the standard social network um, ghettos. Are you are you currently well, working on getting out of that of those in any way? Well, well, let me say several things about about Robert. He has impressed me tremendously. I've interviewed him a couple of times. We were together interviewed by Kerry Cassidy. Uh, right. He's a very formidable guy. He he was the leading. Reviewer of nonfiction for Amazon.com before he took his 98, 98 categories. Yeah, 98, almost 3,000 books, I believe. Right, thousands of books. And um, yeah. I'm collaborating with him now on a series of memoranda about 9-11. I mean, he nice. had this yeah. really brilliant idea of inviting experts to write one-page memoranda in their areas of uh, special competence 
And, and I'm telling you, it's proven to be absolutely sensational. Uh, it, it, it is. And what I'm worried about is I'm, I'm worried about the gamification and the algorithm manipulation that goes on in the standard uh, network models. And something that Robert knows quite a bit about is, is something I'd love to inform you about and see if there's any way that I can help you um, get a little more connected in the new age here. Um, there is a uh, technology called blockchain, which is kind of an irrevocable record keeping and, and a basis for publishing. Not a lot of people are using it for publishing. There's very few places where that can be done. But it doesn't take any of your the qualities of your work out of your work. It's just a great place to store it, kind of like on a hard drive, but that everybody can see and that everybody can get access to. And I've also had a lot to do with the um, uh, principles of the 9-11 Truth Movement in Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, which I know you've had a lot of uh, uh, influence in as well, correct? Well, architects and, and I are in a bit of an odd uh, uh, budding heads a bit because, uh, you know, I invited, when I founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth in December of 2015, at the suggestion of David Ray Griffin, I invited Steve Jones to be my co-chair. Steve, of course, has a background in physics, I in the history and the philosophy of science. And it it was a good combination, I think, discipline-wise, but it was became evident that Steve was very, very preoccupied with nanothermite, which is this... uh, a very highly particularized, uh, refined version of thermite. I'm very, which is very a, familiar about it, but but it, it didn't yeah. show up in, in in dust tests. I mean, it's it's all over the place in New York, and anybody goes looking Let's, for uh, it. Well, let me explain. Uh, uh, he had a couple of you know some dust samples from an apartment off uh, off of Ground Zero. How appropriately because. Uh, it, it, it would turn out that yes, it had the, these uh, these little particles uh, that appeared to be unexploded thermite. Uh, but believe it or not, it turns out they're also a chemical residue from the use of nukes. So that in fact, one of the ar- articles published in this uh, series of one-page memoranda, where David's own is the first, then he published mine is the second, where I'm talking about three proofs that we haven't been told the truth about 9-11. The third is by Joe Olson, who's a civil and structural engineer, and talks about the use of a nuke to bring about the outcome. And there's actually quite a lot of evidence to substantiate it. Remember that enormous cloud of dust that enveloped lower Manhattan. Well, yeah, and actually, and actually, Rick, um, Rick, Alan Miller, Richard Alan Miller, has a much better thesis about um, deuterium inside of carbon buckyballs being microwaved from distance and causing the the, uh, correct amount of fissionable action or, or fusion action, actually, in this case. So. Um, I, I'm, I'm well aware of a lot of this, this information. There's an extraordinary yeah, amount of it. Well, I was the to, problem is, is, is I, that I, it goes I, out into these ghettos and gets we got corrupted. A, we, got a, we, got a, we, got a, we got an audience here that I'm addressing over and beyond yourself. Uh, so, you oh, know, yes, you, yes, you obviously to, are very sophisticated about yep. this stuff. But the point I'm making is the following. The U.S. Geological Survey did the dust sample studies from 35 locations in Manhattan and found a whole host of elements, uh, barium, strontium, lithium, lanthanum, tritium, and so forth, that would not have been present had this, in their quantities and correlations, had this not been a nuclear event. In fact, correct. The conversion of materials into very fine dust is in and of itself a signature of the use of nuclear weapons. But the, 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 right. the point I'm coming to is the following. It, 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 
Steve was fixated on nanothermite. We had a very significant conversation on Saturday. This is the end of June of 2006 at the American Scholars Conference hosted by Alex Jones, where he invited me to give the keynote speech. And then on Sunday, we had a panel discussion that it included four members from scholars, Steve Jones, uh, Bob Bauman, who, who'd not only been a World War, uh, Korean War ace, he shot down like a hundred and one, uh, North Korean bigs. Uh, but, but he was, had a PhD in nuclear engineering from Caltech. Many people to this day do not know. And he'd been the scientific director of the Star Wars program under uh, Reagan and Ford. And then Webster Tarpley, of course, who published this quite brilliant book entitled 9-11 Synthetic Terror Made in the USA. And then myself as the founder of Scholars, where I addressed the top ten reasons we knew the hijackers were fake. Well, the Saturday before that, the, the panel discussion on Sunday, which ran an hour and 45 minutes, which C-SPAN videoed, and then was subsequently broadcast seven or eight times in good time slots, which I believe had the effect of shattering a kind of glass ceiling on public discussion about 9-11. Steve and I had a conversation in the lobby the day before where I said, Steve, I said, are you still convinced that uh, nanothermite could perform all the feats that you're attributing to it, blowing the buildings apart from the top down and turning the buildings into very fine dust and leaving, you know, no pile of debris in their footprint. And he assured me, oh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, he was very confident, very reassuring. But I already had reached a point of skepticism about nanothermite. In fact, uh, I would eventually publish uh, three articles with T. Mark Hightower, who's a chemical engineer, where we, you know, he did a survey, a search of the scientific literature. It turns out that it's a a law of material science that for an explosive to blow apart a material, it must have a detonation velocity equal to or greater than the speed of sound in that material. Well, the speed of sound in concrete is 3,200 meters per second in steel, 6,100 meters per second. But the highest detonation velocity attributed to nanothermite in the literature is only 895 meters per second, which means it's incapable of Blowing apart concrete or steel. I mean, by it's a not, major it's not an explosive. It's, it's, it's a deconstructive agent. It's, it's, it's very much used in the in, in in demolition, but it could not have been used in this way. I agree with you. Well, it's interesting that when they had their hearing, you know, uh, uh, in Boston, as I recall, one of the judges was asking Kevin Ryan whether nanothermite had ever been used for demolition, and he had to rather sheepishly acknowledge it never had. I mean, uh, uh, thermite is a, a tremendous incendiary. I mean, it's used to weld the railroad tracks together. Uh, it, it, in, in military, it, it, thermite grenades are used to disable howitzers, for example, because you drop one down the barrel and it fuses together the firing mechanism, so it's worthless as a as a weapon of war. And, of course, in cleanup, uh, we saw, for example, some, uh, you know, of the columns, the core columns from the Twin Towers that had these cuts that were at about a 45-degree angle. Uh, but those do not appear to have been from the demolition, but rather from the cleanup. And, in fact, it turns out, as Joe Olson, and I want to recommend everyone take a look at this little piece, I mean, one page, 
points out, it turns out that the ingredients for, for nanothermite are present as a function of the, uh, uh the nu- use of nukes because the, the buildings have these aluminum cl- uh, cladding, you know, for decorative purposes and it, and it all works to produce them, which means that uh, as I see it, that we have a superior explanation for what, what has been said to be the nanothermite chips. When nanothermite cannot have blown apart the buildings. You know, I I raised this point a long time ago with A&E. I said, look, uh, since nanothermite cannot possibly have done it on its own, what was used together with it, you know, uh, because that Mm -hmm. would be their fallback. They'd say, okay, yeah, it can't have been nanothermite alone, but it could be combined with something else to make it explosive. And my retort was, but the same is true of toothpaste. It's not explosive, but you could combine it with something to make it explosive. They've never answered the question. They have never answered the question, which just has dumbfounded me. Now, Richard Gage has been uh, one of those who's been invited to contribute, and he has, I don't believe his memorandum has been published yet, but it's about to be published. I know it's in the queue. Well, uh, and that's why I was, that's why Robert, I was suggesting Robert, that a lot of these, a lot of these arguments, a lot of these discussions I'll get onto the blockchain. Yeah, by the oh, way, well, uh, Jim, you're, you're right. In that. I just wanted to complete yes. this. And Jim, I just wanted to add to that. Sure. A semantic turn of mind that when I begin addressing a subject, I like to bring it to an appropriate terminus. Right. And what I'm saying here is that uh, 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 Robert's striving for 24, and he's even going to organize them into a a book. Obviously, it'll be a small book because these are just one-page memorandums, although he's allowed a few, like by uh, David Ray Griffin, to go two pages. I think Peter Dale Scott, he was allowed to go two pages. I believe for uh, Richard Gage, he's allowing him to go to two pages. Uh, I was recommending that with regard to John Weir, who has brilliant observations about how uh, no planes could have actually entered the Twin Towers, you know, uh, that I've encouraged that that be two pages, but I don't think that's been resolved as yet. Now, this blockchain thing fascinates me completely. Uh, I have books on computer science and artificial intelligence, but that doesn't mean my my, my work has been uh, highly theoretical rather than hands-on, and I've always found it a challenge to master, you know, specific techniques of uh, of uh, uh, online publication and so forth. I mean, when I find a method that works for me, uh, I tend to rely upon it. I have a blog where I publish, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of blogs, but now I have found that they are they're be, they're being sabotaged. It, 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 exactly. Some has been coming in and taking down uh, the the images that prove that Sandy Hook was a hoax because they demonstrate how Noah Posner, the most celebrated of the Sandy Hook kids, not least of all because he also died two years later in Pakistan, where his photograph appeared uh, among the victims, the school victims there too, but where his purported father, Lenny Posner, had given Kelly Watt after a hundred of hours of conversation with him, where Kelly explains he didn't believe a word he said, didn't believe he had a son, didn't believe he died, inadvisedly sent her a death certificate, which, to my knowledge, is the only death certificate we've ever had for many of the kids. It turned out to be a fabrication. It's the bottom half of a real death certificate combined with the top half of a fake, 
has no file mm-hmm. number, has the wrong estimated time of death as 11 a.m. when the actual event, according to the official account, was from 9.35 to 9.40. And now we've not only been able to prove, and it's interesting, uh, Kelly also was responsible for initiating this line of inquiry. She noticed that the young Noah bore a striking resemblance to a fellow by the name of Michael Vabner, who was supposed to be his older stepbrother. And we actually began studying, and it turns out that Noah was a fiction made up out of photographs of Michael Vabner when he was a child. Michael Vabner recently graduated from the University of Connecticut stores and created a website so he could publish his resume. And we have, you know, I have a GIF where you can see Noah Posner turn into Michael Vabner, and it's a spinning image of Michael Vabner as he's on the website. Well, this evidently upsets either Michael Vabner or Lenny Posner, who actually turns out to be Reuben Vabner, Michael Vabner's father. I mean, there's no reason why you should have all these photographs of the presumptive Lenny with the presumptive Noah, because they are father and son. It's just their names are not Lenny Posner and Noah Posner. They're actually... Reuben Vabner and, and Michael Vabner. Yeah, so, this is something I, I wanted to ask you about, Jim. Uh, I knew I knew you were facing some sort of uh, harassment from, um, I think it was on Twitter, right, where you were facing this issue. Well, that's that's in, in addition. Uh, I mean, Lenny, I mean, talk about chutzpah. Lenny had the nerve to complain that I was uh, tweeting about some of my blogs where I display these proofs. I mean, once you see them, I mean, there's just no room for doubt. I mean, no room for doubt. I, I say not just no room for reasonable doubt. There's no room for doubt. I mean, it's the same guy. And and he goes to Twitter, this poser, this complete phony, this total fraud, who has been debunking the American people out of over a million bucks. I mean, listen to this. These fake families at Sandy Hook, and I, believe me, I can prove every uh, claim I make about any of this stuff. I have not only published a staggering number of blogs about it, I published books about these cases, too. I bring together the best experts on each of them, Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, uh, Charlottesville, Orlando, and Dallas. I'm, I'm finishing the editing of a book on Parkland that I want to have out now because it will make a difference in relation to the midterm election because that, too, was completely staged. They actually sent the kids home at 1 o'clock. Yeah, a 3,500-student school, but they sent almost all the students home at 1 o'clock, early closing, and then they ran the drill from three on with about uh, three dozen of the students, including, of course, the, the, the David Hogg and the Emma Gonzalez. I mean, I can go into this in great detail. All right, and hold, hold on hold on one second, Jim. Let's wrap up with, with the caller here. I, I believe they are still on the line. Caller, did you have anything more to add? Yeah, you want to yeah, talk about the blockchain, and I would like to learn about it. I'd be thrilled if you were to write me about it. I mean, there's no, a, actually, there's I'll, a, make it, I'll make it. I'll make it a little easier for you. Um, I'm actually um, uh, somebody that uh, Michael knows well enough that he can pass my information okay. on to you. That's okay. That's reach me. Yeah, no worries. Right. Yeah. Okay, and, I was, was going to just ask. So. everything after the show or, or at a different time, but I just want to thank you for wrapping up that. It was a very, uh, uh, very gracious of your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, and have a great evening. Well, thank Thanks, you, Michael. Take care. I, I just wanted to add that you know my, my my blog has become insecure. They've actually taken down whole blogs. For example, the one where six of us went together to explore Kelly's hypothesis that. 
Uh, Noah Posner was actually Michael Vabner as a child. The first one where we proved it to be the case has just disappeared completely. Yeah, this was with uh, Leonard Posner, by the way, who's been harassing you. Well, that's been my guess, but it may turn right. out to actually be uh, be uh, Michael Vabner. It who, might be. Rather than Ruben, because Michael, when he was a, a student at the University of Connecticut Stores, while well, he majored in economics, he took uh, courses in web design and IT. So, you know, he may feel he's got a lot of skin in the game because it's exposing him as having been used for the purpose of the, the Sandy Hook hoax. I didn't finish, by the way, that point, too, about the way in which this has worked to enrich these frauds. Yeah. Because the 26 families have divided between 27 and $130 million donated by sympathetic but gullible Americans. And even at the lowest figure, $27 million divided by 26 families, that's over a million dollars per family for faking having a child who died at Sandy Hook. And I guarantee it. There's no way around it. I mean, this is why they had to ban the book when it appeared on the 22nd of October 2015 with 13 contributors, including six uh, current or retired Ph.D. Uh, professors. We demonstrated the school had been closed by 2008, that there were no students there, that it had been a FEMA drill. We even have the FEMA manual, which I published as Appendix A, it was a two-day exercise, which explains why you had porta-potties already in place, why you had pizza and bottled water at the firehouse, why you had a, a sign, a portable sign that said everyone must check in, why there were so many there with name tags on lanyards, why you had parents bringing children to the scene. No parent would bring a child to the scene of a child shooting massacre. Yeah, the parents were laughing, by the way, before they were interviewed, which I always thought was a little unusual if a loved one died. That's true, Michael, but that was after the fact. I can return to that. The point I'm making is this. On the 13th, they had a rehearsal. It says right in the manual, uh, everyone must check in. That's why they had the portable sign. In fact, Patricia LaLorda, who's the first select man of Newtown, which is equivalent to being mayor, under oath in a, in a, a deposition with uh, Wolfgang Halbig, who was pursuing the violation of his rights under the Freedom of Information Act, because they wouldn't even tell him, for example, something as innocuous as who delivered the porta potties. It turns out for the very good reason that it would have shown they were delivered the day before and therefore blown the case wide open. Admitted under oath that uh, Homeland Security had put the sign there when Homeland Security officially wasn't supposed to be present. I mean, so that's a rather stunning, you know, confirmation. But the fact is that, that FEMA drills uh, have uh, restrooms and refreshments, hence the pizza and the bottled water at the firehouse and the porta potties in place, and they identify the players by color-coded name tags on lanyards. I mean, once you understand what's going on, it all fits together. Then they went live the following day, and there were many uh, medical anomalies, no surge of EMTs into the building, no string of ambulances to rush the little bodies off to hospitals where they could be declared to be dead or alive. In fact, a perfectly good question, who would have decided they were dead or alive? That's not something that uh, paramedics or, or, or EMTs are allowed to do. You have to have a doctor, but it never happened. They didn't allow the parents to see the bodies, uh, but identify them using photographs, which, of course, turns out to be for excellent reasons. Namely, they were fictions made up out of photographs. In fact, Mona Alexis Presley has done more research in relation to the identification of Lenny Posner as actually being Reuben Vabner 
and found that some of the parents appeared to have made up children out of photographs of themselves when they were kids, Michael. I mean, how insulting is this? By the way, so, uh, Jim, how do you feel about the Sandy Hook, hair, uh, Sandy Hook parents going after Alex Jones for defamation? Well, it's absurd. Uh, look at it. He, he can only be defaming them if what he says is false. And actually, Alex has been all over the map on this. Sometimes he says it was fake. Sometimes he says he thinks people really died there. But the fact is, I have sent his representatives all the kind of proof we have. Uh, I have notified them of the book. I mean, how could they not know? They yeah. actually ran an article when it was banned back in 2015 explaining the Sandy Hook book had been banned, and they showed the most important photograph from the book, which is in Chapter 8. I think it's Exhibit 24. It shows a, what I originally took to be a SWAT team vehicle already on the scene before the event has taken place, because just over the t- top of a, the vehicle, you can see a string of four windows in Classroom 10 that are undamaged. That's significant, because after the event, they'd be shot out. In particular, the second window would be severely damaged. It would be very conspicuous. In fact, we also published photographs of the windows before and after. We also have photos of the perps at the window frame. Uh, I originally thought they were actually drilling holes in the window frame, but they were determining where to drill the holes because they did drill holes in the window frame. And we also have the pink rods extending which are quite remarkable because they're all exactly parallel to one another and 90 degrees with the window frame. I mean, it's ridiculous. Anyone with firearms experience could look at this and understand it was contrived. I, for example, as a former Marine Corps officer, used to supervise recruit training. I had 15 DIs and 300 recruits under my training, including marksmanship at Edson Range Camp Pendleton when I was assigned to the recruit depot at San Diego. And, you know, uh, no one with any experience with firearms would be taken in. When Sophia Smallstorm did her wonderful Sandy Hook and two, three, four, and five dimensions, you're on a bus initially going to the school, and she's got a, a monologue by a guy who's an expert with marksmanship just explain how ridiculous it is to have this kid who's six feet tall but can't weigh more than 120 pounds. He's a string bean who actually the ATF official assigned the responsibility said he could find no indication he'd ever had any marksmanship training whatsoever, is lugging in about 35 pounds a year, which is quite hefty. And I don't believe he could have done it. He's supposed to have shot his way into the school through a front window. And and, and that in and of itself is an absurdity. Uh, he had this AR-15, but the, sh- the blowout of the window was done with a shotgun slug that is actually in a bookcase there. You can see from photographs the glass on the ground is fresh. It's sitting on the carpet. It hasn't been ground in to the carpet. And, and that led to Wolfgang's realization that he had a string of somewhere between 12 and 16 Connecticut state troopers who gave sworn affidavits that they'd entered the school through that window which is not only ridiculous on its face, because even the three stooges wouldn't be so stupid. Uh, you know, Mo would go in and then come around and open the door for the uh, 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 J- J- Joe and Larry to come in. I mean, you wouldn't have a series of police officers, state troopers who are wary that they might have their uniforms cut or tattered by the glass. They didn't do it, but they swore in affidavits that they had. So Wolfgang had them by the short hairs. 
And I, I continue to celebrate his efforts because he's been persevering like a bulldog with this. When was the last time you talked to him, by the way? Uh, maybe two weeks ago I talked to Wolfgang. Oh, okay, perfect. So everything's looking good on, on his side. Well, uh, I mean, uh, I had the, there's the oddity that Wolfgang, who's, who's from South Florida, and, of course, he's a nationally recognized school safety expert, actually designed, he was responsible for the protocols for the schools in Broward County. So it was interesting that the Secret Service showed up to change the protocols. This mm. is like 10 days before the Parkland shooting. Very, very peculiar. And in spite of the massive evidence we have, and this includes, for example, a 52-second live leak release inside a classroom, where you see these these kids are doing their best imitation of, of, of crying, but one girl is preoccupied with her bottled water. Believe me, if you just had somebody murdered before your eyes in a classroom, you would be worried about your bottled water. Another's on her iPod. you got a kid pulling his pots. You look at this, what's supposed to be a body on the ground, and it's a, a black, it's a training dummy. It doesn't have any arm. It doesn't have heads. It's lying in a pool of fake blood. And there are people in police uniforms running in and out. You might think, wow, those Parkland police are really on top of it. They were there so fast. If you didn't know that Parkland gave up its police force in 2004, and these, therefore, are simply actors. I mean, the whole thing is so shabby uh, that I was dumbfounded to hear that Wolfgang had done an interview where he said he thought the Parkland shooting had been authentic. So I sent him, uh, you know, a link to a video of mine entitled The Parkland Puzzle, How the Pieces Fit Together, that demonstrates, I think, beyond any doubt that it had been a complete setup, completely staged, explains why the sheriff, Scott Israel, kept four of his deputies out. They weren't snapped in that it was a drill, and he was worried they might come in and shoot one of the participants who was using this simulated ammunition made out of beeswax and laundry detergent to shoot some of the kids. It stings, but doesn't even penetrate the skin, which is why you had this medical miracle of several girls who claimed they'd been shot in the torso and chest or in the legs with an AR-15 walking around with Band-Aids on their wounds. It's because it was not AR-15 ammunition, which would have shattered their legs. I mean, they'd never walk again or killed them outright if they were shot in the chest or stomach. I mean, this stuff is so stupid. The medical evidence is actually the key to unpacking a whole host of these, including Las Vegas, where the three closest hospitals, when you had over 500 wounded, uh, didn't report having a single gunshot admittee. Uh, one of my Facebook friends actually called them and found out. All three answered very cheerfully in response to the question, did you have any gunshot admittees? No, no, no. The third actually adding by way of explanation, I think you're calling about the drill. But no one was shot. You ought to check with the police. Mona Alexis Presley has done a brilliant job with the with the obituaries where, where if I haven't already mentioned, she discovered they were based on people who died in different states or on different dates or from different causes of death. The whole thing is an uh, elaborate. Oh, Jim, that, that reminds me, Jim, of another um, radio personality, Dean Ryan. Um, I, I believe he mentioned knowing someone personally who was there. We checked it out. What well, happened? He, he gave us two names. No, I had Mona check him out. One of the guys appears to be a crisis actor himself. He's lived in all these different locations. Oh, wow. You know, it seems to be going where the action is. And the other was a girl who initially was not shot, but I think then decided it was going to be beneficial if she feigned having been shot. 
in which I believe now they have given out to those who were supposed to have suffered trauma at Las Vegas. I believe in that case, $275,000. I mean, this is hush money. Nobody died in Las Vegas. Mona actually came up with a police map for the one square mile around the concert area. And, and it has, uh, for, for 24 hours from 8 p.m. on the, the, the first, 8 p.m. Uh, on the second, the day after. And it has a, a, a dozen or, or 16 routine, uh, disturbing the peace, burglary, assault, battery, not a single violent crime, much less a mass shooting. It didn't happen. In fact, Paul Craig Roberts, who's our nation's leading public intellectual, had received a letter from a military surgeon who had plenty of experience dealing with actual victims of of high-velocity bullets from military weapons who'd reviewed all the videos of the patients in the hospital and forced to conclude none of them had been shot, that they were all fake. He got another letter from an American trauma surgeon reinforcing the point and observing they were not even connected to the blood pressure diagnostic equipment. Michael, oh my God. Six, six months ago or so, I, I lost my balance, and I went down to urgent care to make sure I was okay. And from the moment I walked in, they connected me to the blood pressure monitor, and they didn't take it off until I got a clean bill of health and was exiting the building. So this well, what, is com- completely absurd. Jim, what happened to you? I just lost my balance. And you just fell down? No, I didn't even fall down. I just lost my balance. Oh. I mean, I... I, you know, I became unsteady and I teetered. I was by the bed. We have a very, we have this wonderful Amish-made furniture. It's oak. It's just the best-made furniture. My wife, very wisely, when we moved down here to Madison, went to a store that had this wonderful Amish furniture. I mean, the the drawers on on rollers, and they they have a they'll close themselves automatically. Ah, wow! It's wonderful. That sounds nice. That, get, get this, Michael, the store isn't even in business any longer. I'm so glad we got all this wonderful furniture. But the oh, fact nice. is, no, I steadied myself on the bed, but it was disconcerting enough to go down and be checked out. And But I, the point I'm making is simply that even for something as routine as my having lost my balance, they had me connected to the blood pressure monitors. Right, but, yes. But we were just renting rooms in the hospital to film this stuff. It was all totally staged, totally staged. We had another, we have another collaborator looked at 33 of the videos and heard lots of sounds of shots, but no one was being shot. Uh, we discovered, we figured out how it was done. Uh, Dan Cromer, who's an IT guy, noticed that the, the sound of the shots was very high quality. And what they had done was pre-recorded a soundtrack with a sound of actual machine guns and military weapons being fired. Then they played it over the PA system. It was coordinated with special visual effects, such as on the fourth floor, right in the middle of the Mandalay Bay. They were setting off a series of flashing lights to simulate a machine gun above, three light flashes to simulate a, 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 a modern military weapon which fires in three-shot blasts to correspond to what you hear on this very high-quality pre-recorded tape. Uh, they even had a guy in the crowd turn to fire on the crowd, and you can see the the light from the flash from his muzzle, but there's no impact of any bullets because he's firing blanks. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, it's just ridiculous, totally staged. They were recruiting you know, through a Los Angeles company called Crowds on Demand Crisis Actors for the Las Vegas event. I've seen that website. Fifteen days in advance, fifteen days in advance. And, and get this, I mean, MGM, that's what they do. They make movies. 
The chief executive officer of MGM sold off 80% of his stock in advance of the event to buy it back up on the cheap after it dropped and make a bundle. George Soros put a $41 million short on MGM Mandalay Bay to make a bundle when it, the stock dropped. I mean, it's all totally contrived. Yeah, the Chaircroft group uh, salivating in the background. This is a group organized by Michael Chertoff, who was our second head of Homeland Security. Uh, when he was an assistant to then Attorney General John Ashcroft, he released the da- dancing Israelis who'd been documenting the destruction of the World Trade Center from Liberty State Park crossing the Hudson River and giving each other high fives and celebrating, and who were arrested in a van from Urban Moving System, turns out to be an Israeli a Mossad asset. The, the vans even had a, murals of the Twin Towers with a plane. You know, going into the buildings. I mean, how blatant can you get? When they were arrested, they had uh, box cutters. They had residue of explosives. They had uh, visas. uh, They had uh, thousands of dollars. But this was only one of multiple groups. In fact, it turns out they were trying to do a real operation to to blow up the Lincoln Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel, the George Washington Bridge. They were really trying to isolate Manhattan. And these were all Israelis who were involved in this. I mean, it leaves you with no doubt at all about who was responsible for 9-11. Yeah, by the way, there's one thing that you did mention um, very early on in the interview, and that was Richard Gage, who was someone I could say for sure when I asked him who was responsible, he didn't give me an answer. Well, get this, and this I, I hold this against both uh, Richard Gage and architects and engineers and Judy Wood and her do group, but neither of them will address who was responsible and why. And they attack you, by the way. I still get emails and comments for, from, from their camp who yeah. they go crazy still to this they, day. They don't, they don't like truth tellers. See, I mean, people who are phonies and frauds, the one thing they fear the most is the truth. And, and believe me, I document everything I do. I mean, I have collaborators on all of these projects. One of the reasons it's so ridiculous to attack me personally is not only do I have a history of scholarship, I've had several distinguished professorships. My title is Distinguished McKnight University Professor Emeritus right now as I speak to you because the University of Minnesota introduced a new program for distinguished professors, full professors in their early years as full professors, who'd made contributions to uh, strengthen the reputation of the University of Minnesota while they were faculty members at the University of Minnesota. Uh, before I was hired there as a full professor with tenure in 1987, I'd published three books. Within the first several years I was there, I'd published 16 more books. I mean, I just uh, unleashed my creativity to have finally have a secure tenured position. And before I retired, I'd published uh, two dozen scholarly books. Now, I've published a dozen more in the area of what you might call conspiracy research, so now today I have 36 books. But, but, but uh, Michael, my great strength, too, is I know what I don't know. I won't fake it. Yeah, that's um, one thing I do respect I'll about people, I'll bring in people who are experts in fields where I'm not. When Correct. I do that assassination science, right. I'm, not, I'm no expert on x-rays. I, I, I began collaborating with a guy who's a Ph.D. in physics from Wisconsin, an M.D. from Michigan, board certified in radiation oncology, which is the treatment of cancer using x-ray therapy. And we began uh, collaborating before he entered the National Archives for the first time in uh, November, December of uh, 2000, uh, no, of 1993, 1992, actually. 
uh, just on the advent of the of the 40th in, in, in uh, 1993, where he'd present his findings. And he just, he, it was he, David W. Mantic, MD, PhD, who discovered the autopsies had been altered to conceal that blowout at the back of the head, that there was evidence of a, two shots to the head. And then uh, uh, Bob Livingston, MD, world famous. This guy was the founder of the first department in neuroscience in the world at the University of California, San Diego. Yeah, Jim, and for sure, that's that's one of the reasons why I definitely respect you a great, uh, tremendous amount. You you bring in all sorts of different sources and you work with them. And, well, 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, what I, I would be stupid to do anything else. I mean. And so I bring in all the experts. Now, I, I'm extremely good at analyzing and synthesizing the data. So when I have a repository of validated evidence, and what we found was most important in the case of JFK was separate the inauthentic from the authentic. There's a tremendous amount of fabricated evidence, such as, for example, those x-rays where the blowout at the back of the head was patched. This is a blowout, by the way. That was observed by Clint Hill up close and personal when he rushed up Pushed Jackie back into the back seat. She climbed out on the trunk after a big chunk of Jack's skull and brains that was lying there, which she held in her hand all the way to Parkland, lay across their bodies and peered into this gaping, fist-sized, bloody opening in the back of JFK's head. I mean, he was dead already and turned and gave his colleagues a thumbs down. Would you believe when the Secret Service uh, published a book, it's called uh, Kennedy Detail, uh, 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 about their performance in Dallas, it included a sentence from Cliff Hill describing the bloody, gaping blowout at the back of JFK's head, which all by itself falsifies the official account, because this was caused by a shot fired actually from the right front, entered the temple. Correct. Set up shockwaves, blew his brains out the back of his already weakened cranium. He'd already been hit in the back of the head by a shot around the external occipital protuberance. That's that little bump at the back of your head. If you're reclining in a tub where you'd rest your head, uh, that shot was fired from the dial text by a man, Licker Carcano. There was a anti-Castro-Cuban shooter there who, believe it or not, was supervised by George H.W. Bush in the dial text. He fired three shots. These were the only unsilent shots during the assassination to set up the acoustical impression of only three shots having been fired. But there were at least uh, eight or ten shots fired from at least six different locations, and I now suspect a seventh. Yes, and Jim, you, you spent a lot of time... Uh, with the research here with JFK, but there's there's a few other things that I did want you to address really quickly here. Sure. Because I know I, I know for a fact what you're going to say, and and um, I, I know these questions they sometimes come around, and I thought this would be a great opportunity for you uh, to address that and to clarify a few things. And I thought it would, yeah, I thought it would be a great idea, and I'll even tag a few points. Um, Over. Go for it. For sure. One thing that I definitely get uh, quite often when I announce that I'm going to bring you on, someone will make a comment, a listener or a random, a random listener rather, and they'll say something like, oh, here's Jim. He's back with more anti-Semitism. Um, you know, they, they say that about you, Jim, but I don't think they understand a few different things with the APAC. And well, some, some of the things that you have to uh, pledge. Can they, can they even define anti-Semitism? Do they have any idea what they're talking about? They probably don't. Michael, I published on this subject, okay? Uh, when, when my very first uh, pub, political speech 
was doing a, a Ron Paul Freedom Rally on 15 April 2008 on the grass in front of the Capitol. And I gave a talk that would subsequently be published under the title of 9-11 and the Neocon Agenda, where I was explaining the hazards of allowing dual citizens to be in decision-making or policy-shaping positions because you cannot know that their loyalty to the other state does not outweigh their loyalty to the United States. Now, uh, to make that observation is not to be anti-Semitic. To be right. anti-Semitic is to dismiss the worth or value of an individual or, or their opinions on the basis of their uh, religion or their ethnic origin. I have never done that a single time in my life. It's a, it's a fallacy. Correct. Yeah, it's a version of the genetic fallacy, which is uh, to discount an argument or a claim on the basis of its origin when it might be perfectly true or a perfectly good argument regardless. This is like, uh, you know, a, a, a homeless man on the street may give an accurate report of an accident he witnessed, and the fact that he's homeless doesn't mean he didn't give an accurate report. Uh, I don't discount someone because they're Jewish. I've had good, close, personal friends. My best friend in college was Jewish. Uh, I respect the history of the Jews who have made great contributions to civilization. But there are a class, a subset uh, uh, of the uh, Zionist actually. Yeah, there's, there's Jewish out. lobbyists that I don't think these people are aware of. I'm talking about the Talmudic Jews who hold the, this uh, racist view that the Jews are superior to all other forms of, of humanity, that the other races only exist to serve the Jews, that the Jews are entitled to, to lie, to cheat, to steal, even to kill the non-Jews, who are collectively known as the Goyim, uh, uh, to benefit the Jews. Now, these are people who have been uh, running Israel for quite some time. Uh, most of the Lukudniks, including uh, Bibi Netanyahu, is of this ilk. You can go back and you can find these extreme racist statements coming from uh, Menachem Begin, for example, or Ariel Sharon or a host of others who were actually prime ministers of Israel. Now, to criticize the government of Israel or its actions, uh, 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 such as, for example, shooting uh, uh, unarmed Palestinians, you know, in Gaza is not anti-Semitism. And I just think those who are raising this criticism uh, have a, have a cluttered mind. They're not drawing appropriate conceptual distinctions. They're not uh, distinguishing the distinct because criticism of of Israel and its actions, such as in bringing us 9/11. I mean, look, I have no doubt whatsoever. The whole idea for 9/11 originated from the fertile imagination of Bibi Netanyahu. He wanted to figure out a way to use American military forces and American treasury to fight wars against the uh, Arab nations that serve as a counterbalance to Israel's domination of the entire region. And he went about orchestrating the events of 9-11 with the complicity of the members of the so-called Project for a New American Century. Yeah, the PNAC. Yeah, PNAC, most of whom were dual U.S.-Israeli citizens, but who, uh, you know, they created a fig leaf by suggesting that you could create a new American century that would endure for the next 100 years if the U.S. would only move aggressively into the Middle East. Yeah, I'm so glad you and, mentioned that, Jim, because I did want to go over that with you here. So I thought this this is a great opportunity because lots of people have no idea what we're talking about here. And well, here, 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 here's something else to be the capper. Yeah. 
you know, I, I uh, organized and participated in a, well, I've done two conferences on academic freedom. And the first was held at uh, Champaign-Urbana campus of the University of Illinois. We had about eight speakers. And our topic was uh, academic freedom. Are there limits to inquiry? And the examples we used of ta- potentially taboo subjects were JFK 9-11 and the Holocaust. And, of course, the Holocaust is the most sensitive of them all. Oh, that draws all kinds of heat, Jim. You can't really talk about that one too much. Well, well they'll well, behead you. Listen to me. I So I began doing research on the Holocaust, and I discovered almost right off the bat there had been 236 references in the international press to 6 million Jews in dire straits or fear of loss of their lives beginning in 1890, before the Nuremberg Tribunal. In other words, this had nothing to do with empirical evidence or even World War II. In fact, it turns out to have theological sources in a disputed passage in Leviticus that's been interpreted as meaning that the chosen people can return to the promised land right. only when they're minus six million who have been consumed in the flames. But even that, Michael, requires interpolation because there was no word in the original Hebrew for six million. Uh, in fact, if you look into it, you'll find the International Committee of the Red Cross was keeping copious records, very detailed, uh, 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 of the, the age, the sex, the race, the ethnicity, the religion, and the cause of death of everyone who died in all of these camps. And in 1993, they recalibrated their total, and it turned out to be 296,081, none of whom had died from being put to death in a gas chamber using Zyklon B. Now, interestingly, they were using Zyklon B to kill body lice because it was uh, they had to inhibit the spread of typhus and dysentery in the camps for the reason they needed to maintain the health of the inmates, because these were labor camps and you can't get work out of a corpse. It, it turns out if you just study the the blueprint for Auschwitz, they had a symphony hall, they had a big woodworking place, they had a hospital with OBGY <laughs> obstetrical and gynecological facilities. In fact, it turns out there were hundreds of babies that were born in these camps. Now, what? how, how does that reconcile with the idea these were centers of extermination? I, I mean, there's so many proofs that this whole story uh, about the Holocaust is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a myth, uh, which has worked beneficially politically. It was part of the political motivation for creating the state of Israel. Uh, and, in fact, there are studies showing that the principal source of Jewish political influence is Western sense of guilt over the Holocaust. Well, I'm too much of a, of a truth seeker to be uh, uh, bamboozled. I'm not going to allow it. And when I found it, I began publishing about it. You can find an article of mine that gives a summary online. It's entitled The Holocaust Narrative, Politics Trumps Science. And I invite anyone to study it and tell me what I got wrong. In fact, uh, Nicholas Kohlerstrom, who's published a brilliant book in 2009 entitled uh, Breaking the Spell, uh, had the benefit not only of the research, the records of the International Committee of the Red Cross, but of the what are called the death books in Britain because they cracked the British code. The Germans were so meticulous, they kept records about everything. The British were uh, capturing the German records and replicating them. So Nick was able to compare 
the death book records in the possession of the British government uh, with the International Committee of the Red Cross and their very close approximation. There were nowhere near 9 million uh, died in the camps, uh, a tiny fraction, 296,081. In fact, I don't believe there were 6 million Jews in all of Europe at the time. Now, millions of people died in World War II, and in a very uh, broad, nebulous sense, it was a holocaust. In fact, more Russians, I suspect, died than any other specific group because they lost as many as 20 million uh, in the war, uh, overwhelmingly more than any other nationality. Uh, on the Eastern Front, of course. So I just say, you're either seeking the truth or you're not seeking the truth. You either know what you're talking about or you don't know what you're talking about. Anyone who accuses me of anti-Semitism doesn't even know the meaning of the word. I, I, I have great respect for Jews. Some of the most important figures in, in intellectual history have been Jewish. Uh, uh, Einstein, for example, Freud for another. I mean, we, we can find a very impressive list. Uh, those who have contributed to, to art, to science, to literature, who oh, have. Of course, yes. I'm, I'm talking about a virulent strain of Judaism, uh, that is despicable, that, that represents the most extreme form of racism I've ever encountered in my life. And because I'm a philosopher, I have had an interest in all kinds of points of view, theories and concepts, uh, in many different disciplines, uh, across the board. And it turns out, ironically, this is extremely interesting, Michael. DNA studies have shown that actually the current occupants of Israel are, are, are not uh, of the legacy of the tribe of Judah. Uh, they they are descendants of the Khazarians, uh, which means that irony of ironies, uh, since the uh, Palestinians, the Arabs generally are bona fide Semites, that the state of Israel is the greatest practitioner of anti-Semitism in the world today, actually, that the world has ever known. Well, good luck uh, convincing them on that issue. Well, it's well known in Israel, actually. There are all kinds of controversy. They're not all happy with the, uh, the, the virulent strains associated with the Talmud. You know, the Torah Jews who believe in the first five books of the Old Testament, I mean... Yeah, there's a that, lot of confusion. Those are, more, those are conventional religious thinkers, and they have a very different uh, conception of God than Christians, because, of course, the Christian God is merciful, loving, and forgiving. Uh, the God of Judaism is a, a, a stern God. He wants vengeance and revenge. Uh, it, a simple way to think of it is that the... That Jewish God is is a male father disciplinary figure. The the Christian God is a more nurturing mother like figure. I mean that's as simple as possible way. Yeah, they have very different uh, yeah, different uh, views there. I discovered this by the way, Michael. But it turns out there's a long standing plan among these Talmudic Jews to use Muslims to slaughter Christianity in Europe. And it appears the massive influx, the invasion of all these Muslim hordes into Europe is is not circumstantial, but by design, intended by the Jews to be retribution upon the Christians for real imagined slights upon the Jews throughout history. So uh, this is very, very serious stuff. No doubt. And, uh, Jim, by the way, um, it's been a long time since the very first time I brought you on this program, and usually I like to ask, um, what exactly was it, that first got you interested down this path in terms of conspiracies, Jim? Oh, it was JFK. You know, Definitely I mean, JFK. 
Yeah, from the from the time I returned from serving 13 months in the Far East, and that would be uh, 63, 64. Uh, I was anchored out aboard the LPH Iwo Jima. That's a landing ship helicopter, meaning it's a carrier, but it's got a shallower keel. It does need a deep keel for a fixed-wing aircraft. need that very rigid platform to take off and land, but because helicopters just go up and down, you don't need that. So I was aboard the Iwo Jima when the officer of the deck awakened me at 3.30 in the morning to tell me that JFK had been shot. Then he awakened me an hour later to tell me they caught the guy who done it. He was a communist. Well, I thought then that was very fast work. Of course, today I know exactly why, uh, because he was framed. I mean, the guy was a complete and total patsy. I mean, it's unbelievable. But when I returned to the United States, I began following the literature. One of the first books I, I read was by a fellow named Josiah Thompson entitled Six Seconds in Dallas, where he had a background as a professor of philosophy at Haverford. He got his Ph.D. at Yale. He'd been in the UDT. So here I was in the Marine Corps. I graduated from Princeton, which at the time was ranked number one in the world in philosophy. And I was expecting to go to graduate school. I would subsequently resign my commission in 1966 as a captain to enter a, 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 a program to earn my Ph.D. in the history and the philosophy of science at Indiana University, doing my third year for my outside minor at Columbia in philosophy. Uh, and so, you know, I felt a certain affinity with this guy. Uh, I would eventually discover that he was actually operating the other side of the street. In fact, as we approached the 50th, he was planning to denounce conspiracy. It's very odd. Vince Landria was the first to call him out because at the end of this book, Six Seconds in Dallas, which includes a lot of serious evidence of conspiracy of multiple shooters, uh, including the McClellan diagram. This is a doctor at Parkland who had uh, authorized a diagram of the blowout at the back of JFK's head, which was quite massive, obvious evidence of a shot from in front, uh, but also the double hit. He had a double hit study. Uh, because the way they edited the Zapruder film, and, and if you didn't know that this was a result of editing, you'd be puzzled. But from frame 212 to 213, the JFK's head is going forward. This is because the driver actually pulled the limousine to the left and to a halt to make sure he'd be killed. He was shot by that anti-Castro Cuban Nestor Tony Escadro uh, in the back of the head after he was the vehicle was brought to a halt, and he slumped forward. Jackie used him back up and was looking him right in the face when he was hit the right temple by that frangible or, or exploding bullet that set up shockwaves that blew his brains out the back of his head with such force that when they impacted with motorcycle patrolman Bobby Hargis riding to the left rear, he initially thought he himself had been shot. Uh, but they couldn't keep the limousine stop in the vehicle, in, in the film, because it was such obvious indication of Secret Service complicity. In fact, I've marshaled 15 different indications of Secret Service complicity in setting him up for the hit. So they had to take it out, and when they added it, they kept in what the one frame from 312 to 313 in relation to the present version of the film, where his head is moving forward. And then it goes back into the left rather violently when actually he just slumped to the left. After he was hit in the head, he just slumped to the left. But they took out so many frames that you have this kind of exaggerated back into the left, which no one in Dealey Plaza reported at the time. And that's because it didn't actually occur. Uh, in, in real time, but was an effect of the editing. But what this meant was when Josiah Thompson looked at these frames, 
he actually created a graph. I'm not sure whether he did it. In fact, I suspect it was beyond his technical competence and that he had a collaborator who prepared it. And by the way, you, you have two books um, about JFK over at moonrockbooks.com. Well, the the second is not mine. That's Larry Rivera. It's in the, 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 about the four horsemen. That's about motorcycle patrolmen, all of all of whom verified that the limit had been brought to a halt. I I have my three earlier books on JFK are on Amazon.com, except I think only now I, maybe in Kindle edition. Those were oh, okay, assassination science, 1998 murder in Dealey Plaza, 2000, and the Great Zapruder Film Oaks, 2003. But to complete my thought here. Uh, Josiah Thompson had this uh, uh, analysis where the head is going forward from 212 to 213 and then violently back into the left from 213, 14, 15, 16, 17. So this is a stunning proof of two shots in, in very close proximity. So you had to have had at least two separate shooters. Interestingly, uh, and I knew this was one of the sure signs to me that Josiah was setting up to reject conspiracy as a grandstanding event for publicity purposes to make it look as though it was silly to think there was a conspiracy. He began rejecting his own double hit theory uh, on the education forum, where there was a tremendous amount of research going on on JFK for a good number of years there. I was extremely active. Uh, but interestingly, independently, David Lifton, who published this completely brilliant book called uh, Best Evidence, which I regard as, uh, you know, I regard my books as sequel to David Lifton's Best Evidence, because he was the first to uh, uh, figure out that there uh, might have been body alteration. And, in fact, it turned out that uh, the officer in charge of the autopsy, Commander James Humes, actually took a cranial saw to the skull of JFK and enlarged that fist-sized wound so that the whole back of his head was missing to make it look more like something that might have resulted from a shot from behind if he'd been tilted way over. And you find it described with mathematical precision in the official autopsy report from Bethesda, which I also included as an appendix. So what I did with assassination science was between the articles that were advancing new research, I gave you the, the, the background resources you needed, such as the Bethesda autopsy report, and the the CIA memorandum about how to deal with critics of the Warren report, where they introduced the notion of a conspiracy theorist as, you know, uh, by tacitly shifting the burden of proof. In other words, most critics of the Warren report were falsifying the report by making points that showed that it couldn't possibly be true. By introducing the phrase conspiracy theorist, they were shifting the burden of proof to create the false impression that, in order to have anything of value to say, you had to be able to explain uh, the whole enchilada, everything that happened, and, and account for all the wounds and everything else, which of course is frankly absurd. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a public relations stunt they got away with. Uh, in any case, uh, David Lifton had independently uh, noticed this anomaly in the frames, and he actually took blow-ups of these frames to Caltech and met with Richard Feynman at the time, the most famous physicist in the world. And Feynman actually got out a ruler and applied them to the photographs that Lifton had brought him and determined there'd been the double hit, the forward motion of the head and the 312 to 313, and then the backward motion. So he had a whole separate independent line of proof of the double hit theory already buried in best evidence. So Josiah Thompson, you know, he was just a, outing himself as as a fraud. Uh, he, he and I have crossed paths many times. He continues to this day to maintain that this Zapruder film is authentic. At one point he wrote, 
that is the closest thing to absolute truth we have about the assassination, which frankly is simply absurd. Yeah, it's weird that he would say that. No. Look, I think, frankly, he was actually involved in editing the film. He was working for Time Life in relation to his book. Uh, He was originally going to be using frames from the film in the book, but he ultimately was denied that right to use charcoal sketches that are of very high quality, but they don't have the same evidential standing as the actual frames. In fact, the whole thing was a swindle because the version we have was created by the government at Hawkeye Works, which is a secret CIA film lab adjacent to Godak headquarters in Rochester, New York, so that they made the switch at the National Photographic Interpretation Center in Washington, D.C. The original film uh, uh, was brought there from Dallas as an 8-millimeter all-race split film <clears throat> developed in Dallas, of course, where the, the the photographic center had to have a shop owner open his store so they could buy an 8-millimeter projector in order to view it. But the following day, the substitute was brought down as a 16-millimeter unsplit film. See, the camera uses a 16-millimeter film and shoots down one side called side A, and then you have to take it out, flip it over, and shoot down the other side called side B. So if you want to play the whole continuous, you have to split the film and then splice it together. Uh, but actually, Zapruder only shot down one side. Uh, and in fact, my estimate is that we have, what, 400 and, uh, 487 frames, uh, as I recall. We should have had about a thousand frames and others and more of the film is missing from the original that, that uh, is in the excellent version of the film after the editing was done. Oh yes. And of course, you have another book that we've never really covered too much uh, about. Uh, for some reason, we we never really talk about it, and that is, I suppose, we didn't go to the moon either. Well, that's a wonderful book. We have tacitly because that begins with four chapters about the moon landing. That's got four chapters on the death and replacement of Paul McCartney, and believe it or not, that is every bit as controversial uh, as the Holocaust. I mean, there are some who just cannot accept. I guarantee you the evidence is simply overwhelming. Uh, particularly once you consider the forensic evidence, there were two Italian forensic scientists who sought to disprove the hypothesis that Paul had died, <laughs> turns out, on 9-11-1966, and replaced by uh, remarkably an even better musician, who turns out to be taller than Paul by about four inches. He has a, He has a normal palate and good teeth. Paul had a narrow palate and bad teeth. Uh, he has a, a larger, more oval f- face, a, a cranium. Paul had a smaller, rounder face. They have different ears. I don't know if you ever even heard of anyone wearing a fake earpiece, but Paul, as we refer to him for false Paul or fake Paul, has been known to wear a fake earpiece because ears, of course, are as distinctive as fingerprints. And then there are two chapters on the, the first death of Saddam Hussein. He was actually taken out by a B-1 bomber pilot on 7 April 2003. I was contacted by his mother, who was upset that the true story hadn't been told, and we did a whole lot of research about it and uh, (coughs) got on the radio, did interviews about it. So there are two chapters about the first death. Uh, Bush was going to announce that the, 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 the tyrant had fallen on the USS Lincoln uh, during that mission accomplished celebration off the coast of San Diego. But someone, and we believe it was Donald Rumsfeld, realized that would be violating an executive order by at least three presidents, Carter, Reagan, and Ford, 
against the assassination of the leader of a foreign nation. So if Bush had announced we'd taken out Saddam, he would have been putting himself into legal peril. So uh, they didn't announce that what they did was take a Saddam double, put him in a spider hole, claim they'd found him. Joe Viles, by the way, was a photojournalist from Australia, was the first to notice that the, the replacement, the double, had bad teeth and an underbite, meaning his lower teeth extend beyond his upper, where Saddam had excellent teeth and an overbite, meaning his upper teeth extended beyond his lower teeth. So they put him on trial, and then they probably had promised him they were only going to stage the hanging, but they actually hung him. I mean, you couldn't afford to have this guy around. Then there were two more chapters on the, the, death, the second death of Osama bin Laden, because the real Osama who was our man in Afghanistan, who was instrumental in getting Stinger missiles into the hands of the Mujahideen, which they used to chase the Soviet Union out of Afghanistan by shooting down so many of its helicopters and planes, actually was an officer in the CIA. He had the rank of Colonel Tim Osman. A CIA official visited with him at a hospital in Dubai uh, in December of 2000, in, in November 2001, shortly before his death on 15 December 2001, he was buried in an unmarked grave in Afghanistan in accordance with Muslim traditions. There were local obituaries. Both CNN and Fox News published reports on the 26th of December about the death of Osama bin Laden. It would take the New York Times six months to catch up. And then they had it buried in an article about the death of Bin Ladenism and explained that he'd been reported to have died six months earlier, which was true. After that, they used uh, phony, you know, phony audio tapes, phony videotapes. I was, uh, as a head of scholars, publishing articles about the fake Bin Laden tape, consulting with this expert, um, Bruce Lawrence at uh, at uh, Duke uh, on uh, Bin Laden. And by the way, uh, by the way, Jim, there is an article that still exists uh, to till this day from uh, Fox, published back uh, December twenty sixth of two thousand one, right. stating that Bin Laden already dead. Right, uh, CNN too. It should also be up. The last time I looked, the CNN report was also up. That's interesting. But but but, but get this. Uh, 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 it was beneficial to uh, uh, Barack Obama to post himself as, uh, you know, having taken out the most wanted man in the world. So they resurrected him and, and had him die again in the raid in the compound, which was completely staged and evidently they covered up. They had the, the Delta Force that was used uh, for that. Uh, most of them died in a helicopter crash of an old Chinook that shouldn't have even been in the air. Yeah, that, they, there's another there's another thing I do want to ask you about, and that's Robert O'Neill, who has a book called The Operator, who uh, this yeah. gentleman uh, claims to be responsible for the one who shot bin Laden. Well, uh, nobody shot bin Laden. Bin Laden was dead 10 years. I just don't, exactly, I just have a hard time believing this guy, and he's been making the rounds all over the media. It's it's all complete rubbish. I have an article about it, including Zero Dark Thirty. Nick Hollerstrom, who's also the leading expert on the 7-7 London subway attacks, he published a book called Terror on the Tube. Now in his third edition, he actually cracked the case by discovering, you see, it happened at the same tube stops at the same time they were conducting a terror drill, uh, which was widely known. In fact, uh, Maud Dibb did a, a 7-7 ripple effect, a brilliant film. It's only one hour, and one hour you go from beginning to end about the whole charade of 7-7. It's a masterpiece. You have to watch it. 
Nick discovered that they'd apparently lured these young Muslim men into playing the part of, you know, roles in relation to the, the drill. Uh, but the train from Luton they had to take to be at the tube stops in time had been canceled that day. They weren't even at the subway stops when the explosions took place. And while they claim it was done by explosives and backpacks, that would have blown the floors of the carriage down and out. Instead, they were blown up and in because the explosives were underneath the carriage. And then when these guys figured out what was going on, they tried to make their way to Canary Wharf where the international press, such as Reuters, is located to tell what had happened. And the Bobbies circled them and shot them dead. I mean, you know, they're not going to be telling their story anytime soon. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And going back to uh, the moon landing, um, was that ever a topic that you ever really got too deep into, like, oh, say, yeah, sure, JFK? Sure, sure. Oh, yeah, of course, absolutely. The moon landing, of course, 100%. I did several interviews with Dennis Camino, who'd been the top electronics troubleshooter for the Navy before he left and went to work for Raytheon, a brilliant guy. Uh, he did sensational work about 9-11, exposing photographic fakery of photographs from the Pentagon, for example. He's done some of the most brilliant work on the Pentagon. He also did brilliant work on the alterations to the Ulchin 6. This is the most famous photograph from the JFK assassination. They did all kinds of tweaks, uh, including darkening the windshield so you couldn't see the driver and the, uh, uh, you know, the agent in charge in the front seat and so forth. All this stuff was done. Well, but I did two interviews with Dennis that are completely brilliant about the moon landing. One's, uh, let's see, the, the, uh, I think it's entitled The Real Deal, uh, the, the, the Great Moon Landing Hoax. And the other, I think, is entitled More on the Moon Landing Hoax. I, I think they may be up at 153news.net, but they're absolutely sensational. Then I was invited for this uh, international schools operation where a very ingenious teacher from a from a school in the Dallas area has used the internet to have uh, classes with students in Turkey and uh, other lands uh, as well as here in the United States and he had me do one on the moon landing hoax so i have a video out there too on the, the moon landing hoax uh, that may also be at 153news.net, putting it all together. I mean, it, it was outrageous. I got hooked on the moon landing when I took my wife to London. The first time I was there, I was on my own. And I discovered on Bloomsbury Street a Morgan Hotel that backs onto the British Museum. Well, my wife's maiden name was Morgan, so I knew this was the place. I had such a great time, I wanted to bring her over. London is maybe my favorite series city in the world. I've been there seven times. And uh, while we were staying at the Morgan, we turned on the TV and on one of the BBC channels, they were playing this absolutely fascinating documentary, offering one scientific proof after another that we had not gone to the moon, showing how, you know, that the, they had just done in slow motion ordinary walking on the moon to make it look, and that they, they weren't gaining the height they ought to have gained. If the, if the gravitational field was only one sixth as strong as on Earth, and now in some of the, the, the astronauts are being manipulated by wires. You can actually see the wires and some, in other words, it was done on a sound stage. And it, and it appears that Stanley Kubrick was actually used to film the moon landing. Uh, hold on, let me, let me back up really quickly here. Do you recall seeing that footage back in 1969? Uh, Oh, you mean the original moon landing? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. Where was I? 1969. I was in, 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 in either at Columbia finishing, you know, that year, my third year, or already back in Bloomington working on my PhD. Um, I probably saw some of it, but you know, it was very clever. If you want to see the, the genius of how they did it, it, it's well portrayed in the film uh, Capricorn One about a, a trip, they're faking a trip to Mars. Uh, and it has, uh, O.J. Simpson and the fellow that, uh, that Barbara Streisand married. He's actually a very good actor. Ah. Uh, they, they show, and, and Hal Holbrook is actually managing the whole scheme for NASA. And they use a single grainy TV feed off of a, a studio out in a abandoned Air Force base in the, near the Mojave Desert in California. I didn't see the original footage, by the way. I wasn't born yet. Well, let me just tell you, that <laughs> yes. all, it was all faked. I, I mean, look, here are three recent proofs. Here are three recent proofs, if anyone has any doubt. A couple of years ago, a NASA spokesman announced that the principal obstacle to manned mission to Mars was the Van Allen radiation belt. Well, that, that's not a novelty. The Van Allen radiation belt has been around about 4.5 billion years, uh, no doubt created when Earth was formed. And if it was a problem today to go to Mars, it was certainly a problem to go to the moon. Uh, uh, second is that they discovered a treasure trove of the original footage of the moon landing. And rather than nurture and preserve it, NASA destroyed it. And the reason, of course, has to be that because with the modern techniques of investigation, we could have revealed exactly how it was faked. That's a part- weird, that's a weird thing, by the way, that they would actually lose the footage, the original footage, that is. They didn't. They didn't lose it. They destroyed it. Yeah. They, it well, they claimed. They, they claimed they. They well. They claimed that's they lost that, it, and then that's they. A, that's absurd. You're then they destroyed. The most, if it were authentic, the most precious footage ever taken by the hand of man. Frankly, Michael, I do not believe you could even do photography on the moon for the reason that the cosmic rays would interfere with the photographic plates. And you know the temperature variation is like from 350 above to 350. Yeah, it's really, really hot. And these cameras were mounted external to the spacesuits, and you couldn't even frame or focus. And yet, every single moon landing photograph is perfectly framed and focused. Jack White, who did legendary work, he was a collaborator of mine. Is in each of my three books, uh, my first three JFK books. Got interested in the moon landing. He did a brilliant analysis about, for example. Uh, you got a rover, but it's got no tracks in front or behind or between the wheels. Uh, and yet you also have boots, clear imprints in the, in the moon dust. Now, frankly, my belief is that the dust, because there's no atmosphere on the moon, could not retain imprints. It would be like the sands of the Sahara, which are so dry, you can't right. make an imprint in the sands of the Sahara. I don't think you could make a boot imprint in the, in the dust on the moon. But but they're in trouble either way, because either you can or you can't. And if you can, uh, then you got the moon rovers that have no tracks, and they had to have been set down by a crane. Uh, otherwise, it's inexplicable how they're where they are. Or uh, 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 you, you, they, if you can't, then you got the boot, boot print, which cannot have been formed. In fact, in some of these photographs, you have a tennis shoe imprint that obviously wasn't worn by an astronaut on the moon. You have intersecting uh, light from more than one direction, which is impossible because the only source officially would be the sun at such great distance. All the shadows would be essentially parallel, but you have intersecting lines. 
you have the dark side of the lander illuminated so you can see very clearly in the photographs, which is preposterous. Yeah, it's, it's what, difficult for me to believe that we had this sort of technology in the 60s to get us there. Um, we did. We did it. Exactly. We did it. It, it's kind of strange for me to even look back and think, um, why haven't we even gone back to the moon? And, well, of course, because we never went there in the first place. Yeah, we Donald did. Trump has proposed. Winston Wu. Right. A brilliant article with, uh, what, 35 proofs we didn't go to the moon in the, in, in, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. And one of the points he makes is it's the only area of science and technology that has made no progress. And in fact, uh, you get the claim that we got, you get NASA's spokesman claiming we, we got rid of the technology. Well, that's just an absurd statement on his face. Uh, we spent, you know, billions of dollars developing this technology and you're telling me they just got rid of it. I mean, that's just incredibly stupid. No one's going to believe that. But get this. Dennis and I went through the specific plans for the spacecraft and all that, the computer and all that. Yes. They, we didn't have the propulsion power to get out of low Earth orbit. So we never got out of low Earth orbit. Number two, we didn't have the computing power to navigate. In fact, the computer that they claim uh, did it perform these feats, isn't even functional. It's a non-functioning computer. I mean, this was just a scam from beginning to end. Uh, it was interesting, the Huffington Post had an article a few years ago uh, that they claimed was a, you know, a, a famous physicist with a brilliant tweet that puts moon landing skeptics to shame. And all it was was something banal like, uh, if you don't think we went to the moon, you need to have your brain examined, something like that. It was really stupid. Yeah, so many odd things about the moon. But, but Michael, I used it as an opportunity to start posting arguments and evidence that we, in fact, didn't go. And to my astonishment, they left them up, so I had like at least a dozen rather powerful proofs we hadn't gone. When one was put up by a fellow who had been in the media in 69, 70, he said in that era, in order to broadcast, you needed a van the size of a bread truck. Well, we didn't have a van the size of a bread truck on the moon. Uh, the whole thing was absurd. And, in fact, you're talking about 250,000 miles. I mean, you, you you would have had a delay in the sound, and yet the conversation are going on as though we're connected right here uh, by telephone on Earth. And the whole thing was totally fraudulent. I don't want to disillusion anyone. We did not go to the moon. We're not going to go to the moon. We can't go to the moon. The Van Allen radiation belt precludes it. Uh, I, I had students, by the way, from this school who actually went to the Space Museum in Washington, D.C., and in the same show, uh, uh, although I think it's on a separate videotape, they gave a critique and they talked about how flimsy, I mean, this was made out of uh, a colored aluminum foil, basically. I mean, it was just shabby. This thing was totally non-functional, ridiculous. Yeah, in terms of the Van Allen belt, that's something you definitely hear mentioned constantly. And NASA has kind of tried to rebuttal that sort of argument by saying that um, that if you're not you're not in there very long, that. It's it's no dangerous than a chest X-ray, Michael. And I disagree. I disagree completely with that notion. Uh, Michael, not only is that absurd, but the topper is the third I I hadn't mentioned yet. I it just came back to mind. NASA ha- has put out a request for the public's assistance with their space poop problem. That their current technology only enables them to handle human excrement for 14 hours. 
Well, that blows oh the whole cover right there. They were offering $20,000. These space missions are seven and eight days. So, you know, what that means is the whole uh, moon uh, travel program was nothing, nothing but a giant pile of space poop. Yeah, seriously. And, and people out there listening are probably wondering, why would NASA, um, our government, want to fake the moon landing? And the first one being is, of course, uh, money. They made $30 billion off of this project. And, of no, course, it was the that, height of the Cold War. That's true, but that wasn't the motive. The motive was that the Soviets had embarrassed us. They got Sputnik up there. They had a satellite in space. Right, right. And they were appeared to be, the world was convinced, more advanced than the United States in science and physics and space technology. So we had to make it up. And, and JFK inadvisably, you know, declared the plan to put a man on the moon uh, by the end of the decade, and they, I, he was never informed that it was uh, impossible to do. It's like uh, the planes on 9-11. It was physically impossible for those planes to enter the Twin Towers, uh, and yet they make the miraculous entry. Uh, uh, the, 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 the development, the way they were designed, was so formidable. Uh, each floor consisted of a steel truss connected at one end to the massive core columns, at the other to the external steel support columns, which are formidable in and of themselves, filled with four to eight inches of concrete, the variance because there were four-inch deep V-shaped grooves. So some areas it would be four-inch, other eight-inch deep. Uh, and because the buildings were 208 on the side, that means each floor was a, an acre of concrete on a steel truss. The south this tower, the, the 175, was intersecting with eight of those floors, uh, flight 11, the north, seven, that would impose massive horizontal resistance, impossible for a real plane to have entered the building. They would have crumpled external to the building. Body seats, luggage, wings, tail fallen to the ground that engines might have got through, but not the planes themselves, so they had to fake it. Here's one sure sign of fakery. There are no collision effects. You don't see... Any slowing down of the plane, in fact, Joe Keith, quite a brilliant guy who uh, designed the shaker system for Boeing, which is a series of stress tests for aircraft on ground, putting through simulate what they'd go through in turbulence to see in the air to see how much they could handle. Observe that in the, the videos, you see that the plane passes through its whole length into the building in the same number of frames. It passes through its whole length in air. That means since distance equals rate times time, there was no diminution in the velocity, which would only be true of this massive 500,000-ton steel and concrete building posed no more resistance to the trajectory of an aircraft in flight than air. Amazing. And by the way, to to wrap up the whole moon discussion, I did want to just hear your take. Um, just late last year, Donald Trump did propose to send man back to the moon and eventually Mars. Um, what do you take from that, uh, Jim? Do you believe that this is actually going to happen? No, it's, it's not possible. Who Who is making the declaration? I missed that claim. Who is declaring to send man to the... Uh, this was Donald Trump back in December 2017. Yeah. No, I mean, Trump can't violate the laws of nature for crying out loud. That, that's that's why... A sure sign that you're being sold a fantasy when you have uh, violations of the laws of physics, engineering, physiology. That's why in Boston, when you peer through the smoke and you see bodies that are missing arms and legs, but there is no blood. You know, it's a fraud because it's a physiological impossibility to have arms and legs blown off by explosives and for there to be no blood. 
that's why when you look at the Twin Towers, you see the plane disappear into the building with no collision effects. You know, you're witnessing an impossibility because it's a violation of Newton's laws. Uh, uh, I mean, we get this time and time again. Uh, so, you know, uh, Charlottesville, my God, I don't think we, I don't know if we talked before, but they use two cars, two different drivers. Yes, three, we, we three covered that. Takes. In Charlottesville, it's embarrassingly bad. The New York Times published an article recently that was celebrating a Charlottesville stuntman, a, a, a photograph that had been shopped, and a crisis actor who made her debut in Sandy Hook, the mother of uh, Heather Heyer, who's supposed to have been killed in this uh, you know, deliberate running into the crowd by a, 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 what's supposed to be a fanatic, uh, actually played the mother of a teacher, Victoria Soto, in Sandy Hook, and also the mother of Heather Heyer in Charlottesville. It's embarrassingly oh my bad. Goodness. You know, I'm, I'm surprised that no one's trying to come out and press any kind of charges uh, on you, Jim, for you for you being uh, no, so outspoken. Right. right. I, look, I can prove every single thing I've said tonight I can prove. I mean, I, I don't do this casually. I'm a professional. Yeah, I hear you. You know, do your homework. I, 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 I'm honed in re- not only that, but, of course, as I explained, I, I taught logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning for 35 years. I published books on the nature of scientific knowledge, the principles of scientific reasoning. Just now I published books on the theoretical foundation of computer science, artificial intelligence, cognitive science, even evolution and mentality. I mean, this is all part of who I am. As an academician and a scholar, uh, uh, my work is very broad, but it also turns out to be very deep, and I, I don't let up when it comes to conspiracy research. And, and as we have, yeah, no doubt, as we've been, I bring in the best experts on all these cases. Right, and what another question that uh, many have been wondering and have emailed in here with was, how do you discern um, these conspiracies from fact? And fiction. Well, things don't add up. Oh, definitely, definitely. There are four stages uh, to scientific reasoning. The first is puzzlement. You're you're experiencing something and it doesn't add up. Something seems wrong. And and as soon as you can discover, for example, that laws of of physiology or laws of physics uh, or laws of aerodynamics. I mean, here's another example. The plane at the Pentagon is alleged to have approached at over 500 miles an hour, barely skimming the ground. Well, I had an aeronautical engineer compose a chapter for me about this because it turns out that because of the phenomenon known as downdraft, sometimes also called ground effect, a Boeing 757 at that speed could not get closer than 60 or even 80 feet to the ground. So we're being given a story about the Pentagon that isn't even aerodynamically possible. As soon as you find this, you know, you're being sold a fantasy. It's like the magic bullet. There aren't any magic bullets. It turns out those simulations of the magic bullet were supposed to have gone into the back of Jack's neck and then come out his throat and gone into the back of John Connolly uh, uh, are done with, with, with simulations that are lacking a crucial anatomical feature. They don't have a spinal column. Because as a matter of fact, David Manick plotted the trajectory of the magic bullet using a CAT scan of a patient with similar chest and neck dimensions to JFK. And it's anatomically impossible because cervical vertebrae intervene. So, you know, time after time after time, we're just being sold a massive pottage. It's complete rubbish. 
But if you don't know something about science, see, the, the, the American public generally is scientifically highly illiterate. So we're e- easily played. And we've been played about the moon landing. We've been played about 9-11. We've been played about Sandy Hook. We've been played about the Boston bombing. We've been played about Charlottesville. We've been played about Las Vegas. We've been played about Parkland. I don't like that. I despise liars, phonies, frauds, and cheats, and when the government is using its authority and ability to deceive the American people, to instill fear into the population in order to make us more amenable uh, to uh, support its own political agenda. I take offense at that. As, as a professional philosopher, I care about the truth. As a philosopher of science, I know that science is our most effective method for discovering what is true. And as a former Marine Corps officer, I care about the future of my country. And by virtue of my background and training, it puts me in a position of being a formidable force when I get into conspiracy research. And and I remain open-minded. All I ask of my critics, because I don't pretend to be infallible, uh, we all make mistakes. In fact, you'll discover from my research on the nature of mentality, it's a criterion. It's an evidential indicator that you possess a mind that you're capable of making a mistake. Just ask about the things like tables and chairs uh, and phones uh, that are incapable of making mistakes, and you realize it's very obvious, of course, they don't have minds. Things that are capable of making mistakes, like you can have a spider jumps on the image of another spider on a on a cathode ray tube because it's made the mistake of thinking it was a real spider. Uh, you have all kinds of events like this that take place uh, where, in fact, mind is ubiquitous through the animal kingdom. So my book, The Evolution of Intelligence, is explaining the evolution of human mentality out of its animal precursors, the nature of animal mind, the origins of it all. And, and it really turns out to be absolutely fascinating stuff so that the subtitle of my book is Are Humans the Only Animals with Minds? And once you get an appropriate conception of the nature of mind, which is that what it is to have a mind is to be capable of using signs, where signs are things that stand for other things in some respect or other, uh, for the sign-using system, uh, you, you begin to get a grasp on how you can understand the nature of mentality by these very primitive sign-using systems where there are three different types of signs, icons, indices, symbols. Some other day we can talk about it. But but it turns out there's a correlation between grades or strengths of mind and, and evolution where the simpler, more elementary forms of mentality are possessed by the simpler, more primitive forms of life right through the evolution up to man, which is by far the most sophisticated uh, game, uh, mentality the, that the evolution has ever produced. Now, it may be that there are uh, extraterrestrial forms of life. I am relatively convinced that at Roswell, we did have something unusual happen there. Yeah, that's something we really rarely touch upon. And, yeah, yeah, you definitely do believe that there is life outside of this galaxy crisis. Well, let let me explain, Michael. Uh, I've always thought there was something there. Uh, I never was quite certain what there was to it. At one point, I was prepared to go wholesale into research on the Discovery Project and all that. I had a stack of about a dozen books. Uh, when something happened, I right. didn't know Charlottesville or well, what, Boston, but something distracted me, and I never got back to it. 
But I have a friend who's very sophisticated, very smart, with all kinds of intel connections, and he recently sent me a video from taken in Russia uh, of graves. I mean, this is oh, a really video. yeah. It's about forty. I can send it to you. It's yeah, about go ahead. Minutes. This appears to be real. This appears to be authentic, and it's very, very interesting. So you see. Uh, Several of these graves, and they look a whole lot like they've been depicted, for example, in E.T. You know, they're a variation on E.T. Uh, and, and, and I'll be glad to send it to you. So, so that has brought me to a point of being very, very open-minded about it. And if there are indeed these alien species, then who knows, uh, you know, their, their mental capabilities. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating area for subsequent research. Oh, of course, of course. And now we are getting into more of the ending of the interview. So I thought we could kind of go over more of what's going on. But before we do, I did notice an article that you had uh, published on your blog there about the whole uh, Jonestown massacre. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was written by Dan Cromer. Now, Dan is the guy who's a high-tech guy who figured out that how they had done the the Las Vegas by having this pre-recorded soundtrack that was much too high quality. You hear the sound of these shots very distinctly all over the, the area there. Uh, many people are unaware, but actually there were events going on at multiple other casinos, at the Bellagio, at the Flamingo, at New York, New York. The lobbies were shot out. This was apparently intended to be a fairly elaborate event, not quite like 9-11, where they actually were going to blow up the Lincoln and the Holland Tunnel and the George Washington Bridge and so forth. Uh, but at least as as some kind of distraction, the whole thing with Paddock and the 32nd floor is completely ridiculous. They've actually released uh, footage of, of a SWAT team going in there. And, and ironically, although we've been told there were 23 weapons there, you see a guy do a count, and there are only 13. We've, of course, been told the windows were broken out, which was always suspicious because these hotels in Las Vegas have sensors. Uh, they're very concerned about someone losing their shirt at a casino coming back and then leaping out the window. So they have sensors. If anyone opens a window, breaks a window, they're immediately notified security. So he could not have broken out any windows without security having been notified. But when you have the SWAT team in there, they're reporting the windows are not broken. Not only that, but we've all seen this body on the floor there with some blood and a handful of shell casings where Scott Bennett, who is a former Army Intel and PSYOPs officer noticed among the handful of shell casings, some were for blanks, which have a crimp cartridge. Others were CO2 cartridges as for gas-propelled pellet guns. Uh, I've got another guy who told me the body is actually defrosting. In other words, it's been in a freezer. But the fact is, when they're in there with a SWAT team, there's no body there. So evidently, they brought the body in later, and then they staged it. I mean, Las Vegas is just as completely phony as it could be. But it was Dan Cromer who first figured out how they'd use the pre-recorded soundtrack. Now, Dan became interested in going back to Jonestown and re-reviewing the bidding there, and it turns out there are a whole host of anomalies that most of them, uh, they none of them died from drinking Kool-Aid because it wasn't Kool-Aid, it was Flavor-Aid, and those who died drinking Flavor-Aid weren't the majority. The majority were actually shot. They must have been unenthusiastic when they saw some of the others who were dying. It's a, it's a fairly elaborate story. We actually had uh, 
uh, a caller come into the show, Paul, who's from California, is a fairly regular caller, when I had Dan on on my recent raw deal, and he was explaining how he'd been involved in a whole lot of research on Jonestown at the time. Yeah, and it's fascinating. Already, already then that it had been uh, misrepresented in the press, as are all of these things. Yeah, it's a really fascinating story. This man had more than 900 people uh, drink the cyanide. Yeah. And, uh, and my that's goodness. That's you know, drinking the Kool-Aid originated. Yeah, a lot of people don't even know that's where that term uh, originated from. It's a term that we've been hearing for such a long time, uh, even till this day. And as Dan points out, it was actually flavor-aid. It wasn't Kool-Aid. It was <laughs> flavor-aid, an equivalent, but a different brand. Totally, and uh, my God. That must be quite a feature to to be able to have so many people do such a such a deed. Michael, let me cut to the chase here about the latest absurdity. It's this Russian hacking. Oh, let's yeah, let's talk about that because we definitely yeah, well, have to wrap well, up here. Let, 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 let me just give you the short take because I wrote a letter to the editor about this. I've done so much on this. I'll be reporting on it various news shows next week. Let me read you the letter to the editor. According to the latest, special counsel Robert Mueller has indicted 12 Russian military intel officers for hacking the DNC in an attempt to affect the outcome of the 2016 presidential election, citing the Guccifer 2.0 files as proof. But back on 10 July 2017, William Craddock reported in Zero Hedge, New blockbuster research shows Guccifer 2.0 files were copied locally, not hacked, based upon the rapidity with which they had been downloaded, and that had happened in the Eastern Time Zone. Months earlier, on 6 January 2017, Rachel uh, Ravez in the UK Independent had reported, Democratic National Committee did not allow FBI to examine hacked servers before agency blamed Russia as culprit. So just how dumb are we supposed to be? Even James Comey on 10 January 2017 in The Hill, just a few days later, admitted Comey, DNC, denied FBI's request for access to hacked servers, the only explanation for which has to be that the DNC knew they would not find evidence of hacking. The DNC, the FBI, and Mueller have the public in an uproar on the basis of claims of hacking by Russians that it cannot sustain. This goes far beyond a witch hunt and into the abyss of propaganda to promote a nefarious political agenda. We are being played for saps. My goodness. By the way, um, things got heated with uh, Jim Jordan and uh, Peter Strzok. Jim Jordan's a good guy, but I'm going to tell you something. He, uh, this uh, Rod Rosenstein, see, he, he, before Peter Strzok, he'd, he'd put Rod Rosenstein uh, feet to the fire, which was very appropriate. Now, Rosenstein's a very smug guy, and he appears to me to have used FBI resources to go back to find something to smear Jim Jordan. So you suddenly have, in the wake of that, the pop-up. He's supposed to have known about some wrestling impropriety where some, you know, yeah, let, years later, I gotta, I, obviously. <laughs> I got to bring that up here, Jim, uh, because... That's not, the, that's not the worst of it, Michael. Then it turns out his... his uh, his nephew was killed in an automobile wreck. I mean, oh my. Look, look, this is not just happenstantial. This is very serious. Oh, and it is. Stroke. I'm, uh, I have been advised by someone who has very good connections that stroke actually is in Division 5. This is a branch of the FBI. 
that commits murders on behalf of the government. Uh, by the way, Jim, let me, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but we are joined by another soul here. Caller, you are live on the air. What's going on? Hey, that much. Hey, what's going on, folks? Jim, what the hell are you smoking? The people at the FBI are murdering people? Is Did you just say that? Uh, have you deeply dealt into the deep state? I mean, how much do you know about this? This is a this is a flaky call because you're taking the last remark I oh, made. Oh, what are you smoking? I'm here for two hours. What evidence do you have? What's you can't evidence? come up with something better than that, you know. What's your evidence? Put your this evidence not, out right this now. This is not a serious call, Michael. This is just an arrest. No, you don't evidence. have evidence. That's why it's you're saying it. It's a stunt. Do you, do you have a... Take him off, Michael. I cited my evidence. I said, I said someone who has deep ties. That, Michael. Yes, sir. Jim or, me, Jim or me, okay? If you're going to keep him on, I can I could barely... Explain my source. Yeah, I said this very clearly. You heard me. He heard me. I, I, can, I said I have mm-hmm. a source who has told me, and this is a guy with very deep intel connections. Right. Peter Strunk is in this Division 5, which commits murder. What's the source's so, name? I don't care whether this guy knows or doesn't know. If he followed the program and had anything intelligent to say, he would have said it, but he didn't. This is just no, real typical of a troll. Name? This is a shill, a troll. It's classic. I've dealt with a lot are, of Are you trolling right now, sir? Of course he is. What's the source's name? Um, what, what source, by the way? I, I'm not going to identify him. Cry it out it's loud. Fake. That's ridiculous. It's fake. There's no yeah. source. You're lying. You're a liar. But by, by the way, what 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 are Michael, you asking? Michael, just listen to this guy. This is a typical show in action. I, I just wanted to know what exactly he's asking you about. I, I couldn't really make out what he was saying. Yeah, what's he was, the source's name? What's the name of the source? In, in regards to in regards to what though? It was just he my last source to claim everything he's mentioning. Michael, I don't think what he is the name of the source. Michael, get rid of him. Just get rid of him. There's no more. There you go, Michael. There Cut you go. Get rid of him. Oh, well. Oh, he's been called this out. This is a deliberate stunt to, to try out. to smear the interview, which we've been having very, very cordially, Michael. My I goodness. But, frankly, I just don't have time. Yes, for, I'm sorry about that, Jim. I, I explained earlier that if someone had, uh, you know, uh, uh, wanted to contest anything that I said, I'm not infallible. Yes, there's a passing remark that came that is added at the tail end when I've been giving very substantial discussions about JFK, 9-11, Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, and a host of other issues is simply ridiculous, including Las Vegas and Parkland. I can't really. It, it was hard to make him out, to be honest with you, because he's calling on a, I think it might might be some sort of cell phone, and he's kind of yelling. Michael, I, it's a, he's, he's a fraud. He, he took a sentence. Uh, that uh, I would freely agree if one wanted to challenge what I've said in the two hours I've been on, that might be a good sentence to jump on. But the fact is it's utterly irresponsibly, but it's it's a form of the fallacy known as special pleading, where you only cite the evidence favorable to your case. You know, it's like the used car dealer who talks about the wonderful stereo and the fine upholstery and ignores the fact the car needs a ring job and the transmission is shot. He's trying to find something, anything he could hang on me because he doesn't want people to go away with a positive feeling about everything we've been discussing. So I'm just going to have to say, you got to be adult about this. There are a yeah. lot of shills, phonies, and trolls like this. Yeah, this guy a- is an example, I guarantee. 
100%, Michael. Yeah, I've been the... at this for a very long time. I've done thousands of interviews. And this is very obnoxious, atypical behavior, indicative of someone who is not serious, I'll tell you right now. Right. I, I thought he would try to relax and perhaps um, fire away some questions and try to be civil, but... Uh, no, he's the, a fraud. The, the whole idea is to be, you know, create an uproar right at the end of a very... I mean, I've really enjoyed the interview with you. Oh, him. of course, of course. All right. So, you know. Yeah, we, we definitely have to, <laughs> we definitely have to address. But, but, but if anyone wants to, they can mm-hmm. look into Division 5. I mean, the FBI. Uh, uh, look, if they're going to try to, if they're going to try to, uh, undermine the administration, the, the, the campaign of a candidate for president of the United States, what is there they're not going to stoop to? Hillary's death list runs about 200 at this point in time. There have been at least five or six deaths just related to the DNC. Not only is Seth Rich, but this, uh, the lawyer for Julian Assange who winds up in front of a subway in London, uh, the attorney who served a class action lawsuit on the DNC and then he dies mysteriously. Uh, he was on behalf of Bernie Sanders supporters. You got a, an investigator who washes up on the beaches, as I recall, Sarasota, where I actually taught at New College for several years in the early 1980s, not far from the, the home of the judge who's overseeing the investigation. Uh, I mean, the, you had a, a UN employee who was about to testify against Hillary, and then he, he's a guy who works out with b- barbells, and he winds up having his throat crushed. My by, goodness. By, yeah. I, it just goes on and on. It really does. It really does. And the Clintons and the Bushes, two families linked to multiple atrocities oh. in our nation's history. Uh, uh, but, but, but look, let me just add this. We have new revelations from the DNC server. They're coming from an independent source. I've had, I was, I've been given a, a dozen or 16 of them. They include a specific request from Susan Rice on behalf of Barack Obama to spy on Donald Trump. They were the British to do it. And this turns out to be a fairly common practice among the five eyes, which are the nations of Canada, the U.S., the U.K., Australia, and New Zealand. If their own laws preclude them from spying on one of their own citizens, they, they, uh, they, they, they shop it out, in this case, to the U.K. to spy on Donald Trump. I mean, this is despicable. Uh, did, did, uh, did, did we talk earlier about how many times when Trump, you know, uh, uh, cited something he turned out to be true again and again, you know, like Raphael Cruz and the crowd at the inauguration and so now, forth. By the way, I just want to make it clear to the newer listeners out there that I myself am not affiliated to any political party. And some people out there think I'm probably anti-Trump, but uh, I give everyone credit when it's due. And he has been doing uh, some things that I consider uh, things that needed to be done. And he's been doing the best to his abilities, in my opinion. And, you know, I try to hope and be optimistic for anyone that takes on the role of being the president. And, of course, I love this great nation that we're all in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Michael, look, I mean, I I, I voted for, you know, Bill Clinton twice, for Obama twice, and uh uh, you had to look at the alternative candidates at the time. Yeah, you were sold. You, you were sold. Them. You were sold a dream when you voted for Obama. Oh, I must say. God. No, everything Trump said about Obama's turned out to be true. Would you believe Howard Dean, Nancy Pelosi, and Hillary Clinton were all involved in vetting Barack Obama and certifying that he was eligible for president? Hillary even made a visit to the archives in England for the the colonial, uh, you know, Arab. Uh, 
uh, African countries because, you know, from uh, my research, he was born in, in Kenya. They created a fake Kenyan birth certificate, but I have a copy of what appears to be the real one, which has his footprint. The other is an obvious fake that has signatures for officials who weren't in office at the time. I mean, there's several blatant, so that if you talk about the Kenyan birth certificate, they'll say, oh, yeah, but that's shown to be a fake, talking about the second one, not the real one. Uh, uh, oh, also included in these revelations were two ID cards from Columbia University, which have exactly the same ID number. One's for a regular student, the other's for a foreign student, and it's Barry Satoro, which appeared, you know, he locked up his education records when he became president. That was his first act, and I think it's because it would have revealed that he, in fact, was a foreign student. He wasn't a, a, a natural-born citizen. He could not have qualified for the presidency. And we, it turns out, to have Howard Dean, Nancy Pelosi, and Hillary Clinton, among others, to thank for that. Uh, by the way, Jim, I think there is another call here. Um, hopefully, it's a it's a polite call and, and nothing <laughs> and, and nothing too nasty. My goodness, right. L- let's hear what the caller has to say. Caller, right. you, you, you caller, you are live on the air. What's going on? Hi, Jim. I I, I was curious. Did you have any uh, revelations when it comes to um, Bernie Sanders? Do you think? He's um, a real candidate, or do you think he might be part of the um, political apparatus? Thank you. Well, I think that's a great question. Uh, 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 Actually, I think the DNC shot itself in the foot when they sabotaged Bernie's campaign because he overlapped with Trump in relation to foreign policy. Obviously, he wanted to get us out of the Middle East, which is what made the difference for Trump, uh, because if I haven't mentioned already, it was – the University of Minnesota and Boston University verified that, in fact, it was voters in rural districts in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin that had suffered a lot of casualties from the Middle East wars who voted for Trump in the belief that he was the less likely to continue the war. Now, if Bernie had been the candidate, as I may have already mentioned, they gave 13 primaries that Bernie won to Hillary to guarantee she'd be the candidate. I think he would have prevailed. He robbed? I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you think he was robbed? Oh, sure. Of course. Oh, yeah. His campaign was absolutely sabotaged 100%. That's, that's why uh, Seth Rich gave the DNC emails to Julian Assange. I mean, he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, and he was just disillusioned when Bernie was sabotaged. Now, let me make two more points. Uh, 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 the, the first is because his foreign policy overlapped with Trump in relation to the Middle East, which was Trump's greatest draw, but his domestic policy was overwhelmingly more attractive. I mean, I believe in Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, unemployment insurance, workman's compensation. These are the programs that have made a difference to the American people. I think Bernie would have beat Trump. Now, after Hillary got the nomination, Bernie appears to have been physically beaten up in order to support her, that he not lead a revolt. He's sitting there in the stand. He's looking very sober. He's got a black eye or a big knot on his forehead. If you go back, it was on his face, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think he was intimidated. I think he was threatened. I think Hillary plays hardball. Uh, and, you know, she wasn't going to brook uh, Bernie uh, uh, leading an alternative. I, 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 I no longer have a lot of respect for Bernie because he seems to have been, you know, bought up in all this stuff about Russia. It's a new home on the coast. He has three homes now. 
do you think that might have something to do with it? It could very well. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Bernie hadn't been given a more comfortable, you know, retirement from politics. Yeah, I, or, I, you know. or or the alternative, he was motivated because of physical threat, of course, it either take the the home or something else. That's that right. Much oh, I think at the convention he was actually physically assaulted. I, I think to guarantee that he wow. would uh, come wow. out and endorse Hillary. I, I believe he was physically assaulted. Now, I don't have the medical records, but it was a subject of discussion at the time. And when you put all the pieces together, I think he started out with very good intentions. I, I think he was a very good man. I think he's been broken. I don't think Bernie really has it in him any longer. He'll make some statements, but he's all totally. No, pardon me. It seems everyone wants to focus on how horrible Republicans are. But if we look at Democrats, there's some very horrible things going on. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Actually, it's horrific. They're staging all these shootings. Sandy Hook was a Democrat. Parkland was a Democrat. This, The whole March for Our Lives was a, a Democratic uh, voter oh registration. It got billions of free publicity. It's outrageous having David uh. Hogg and Emma Gonzalez go to 20 states and give these gun control talks. Uh, it's ridiculous. It was all a setup. Parkland was a fraud. They sent the kids home at 1 p.m. They only kept back oh. a few dozen to be crisis actors. Totally fraudulent. Totally fraudulent. Where do to we this go day, to with this... all these lies? It's horrible. What do we do? You expose the truth. Share the truth. Find it. Look, I, what do I tell I've my children. I don't know. What do I tell my children? Tell them you got to dig for the truth because we get nothing but propaganda 24-7 from the mainstream media. Definitely. MSNBC, you know, it's horrendous. Them, you know? my, wife, my wife spends hours watching MSNBC, and 90% of what they're saying I know to be false. They're giving reports I know to be false. I do a huge <laughs> amount of research on this every single week. I work 30, 40 hours Reviewing stories and preparing for news shows I do every single week. We I'm do, I mean, it's horrible. What do we do? It's Mike. You know this, Mike. What do we do to, to help our children? Um, by, by the way, Jim, I do want to say that Hillary has been kind of um, pretty nonstop in the media lately. She's definitely trying to uh, pander up for that 2020 run. Yeah, of course, except that it won't be Hillary. Listen. Uh, you want to check out my video called uh, uh, Fake News, Issues of Identity. It's at 153news.net where I demonstrate Hillary has used six or eight uh, body doubles. It began after she collapsed after the 9-11 memorial in New York. The first one she sent up was uh, uh, younger, much healthier, thinner, looked a lot like Meg Ryan. I refer to it as the Meg Ryan double. A couple days later on the flight to Greensboro, they had another double, looked a lot like Meryl Streep. I call her the Meryl Streep double. She's got the wrong forehead. She doesn't have these two moles Hillary has at the right corner. When she fell, fell into the, um, the van, when she fainted into the van, was that the one or no? No, that was Hillary. That's that's why they had to sit on a double. Hillary's a terrible. Among the other revelations coming out, by the way, is a human evidence statement, a, a letter she sent to her brother saying, "Now Hillary has a dozen seizures a day, 
uh, that she's a walking cadaver, that they nevertheless, you know, get, 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 get her sobered up to give speeches and to give these platitudes to the press about having a first woman president and chattering the glass ceiling. Believe me, when this stuff gets out, and I'm doing what I can to get it out, and I, you know, I put it in some of my recent newscasts, but look, there's a photograph in there of Hillary in the, in the Middle East, but it's not Hillary, it's another body double. So if there's one who, she even used body doubles in the national debates with Bernie Sanders and even with Donald Trump. You, you won't really? believe it until I give you the proof. It's right there, fake news, issues of identity. And I also she she drinks um um hard alcohol like vodka in the morning. Is that true? She probably does. I you know I had an art teacher who would do the same thing early in the morning. So hard alcohol. Yeah, I had an art teacher. Uh, So you know I don't put it past uh, uh, Hillary to do such a thing either. I do not know. Hillary's drinking practices. I do know. That's an opinion, by the way. From Huma Abedin that implied that she's drunk half of the time. So, oh, my I mean, God. That's a statement we have. I, I'm not going to speculate on how she's spending her copious free time. I can guarantee you Hillary Clinton would not be physically capable of running for president in 2020. So it would be a Hillary double. And then she has Thank so God. Thank God. <laughs> you know, all we have are people wanting to get the truth out there, and that's all we have at this point. And thank you so much. Yeah, th- for yeah, yeah, thank you for for the call. Yeah, thank thanks you. for the call. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the call. Got us into some areas we would not otherwise have addressed. Michael, I oh, can't yes. thank you enough. Yes, I, I can't thank you enough as well for being a part of the program. It's been another tremendous episode yet again, and I do want to uh, get back in touch with you in the near future, Jim. Uh, go ahead right now and... Plug anything you'd like, any final words. The stage is yours. Oh, yeah. Well, what you want to do is check out moonrockabooks.com because we're putting together a a library of conspiracy research. So there are books there on 9-11, JFK. There's a brand new book, a second book on JFK by Larry Rivera, completely brilliant stuff. Books on Charlottesville, Orlando and Dallas, Sandy Hook, of course, the Boston bombing, of course. I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. Just go there and check it out and see if there's something appeals to you because, you know, I felt it was indispensable to have an accurate history of what actually happened as opposed to the distorted versions we're getting from the mainstream media. So that, that would be my recommendation. And look for my videos Go to 153news.net, for example. There are a whole lot of them there. I, I recommend a couple in particular you ought to look for. Well, I can mention three or four just in passing. Uh, one is the Parkland, the Parkland puzzle, how the pieces fit together. That'll tell you how the Parkland thing was faked. Another is uh, 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 the Second Amendment and the politics of gun control, which shows how the faking of these uh, shootings is being combined to undermine our, our access to weapons under the Second Amendment uh, for even more uh, uh, malevolent purposes in the offing. Uh, uh, there's one called uh, False Flags on Five Fronts, and there are two different versions. Uh, false Flag on Five Fronts in Seattle, very good, where I talk about uh, an update about Sandy Hook of Boston, 
uh, Las Vegas, Charlottesville, and a little about JFK. Uh, there's another one called How to Spot a False Flag, uh, a, a sampler of representative cases where I go through a dozen or 15, a dozen or 15. So I just show you how you can pick them out and figure out that they're, uh, there are false flags. There are other good books there, by the way. There's one by Nick Kohlerstrom called uh, uh, Chronicle, uh, False Flag Chronicles, a European Perspective, where he goes through 13 different false flags in Europe, like the Manchester attack, the London attack, the Nice attack, and all that. Brilliant stuff. Very, very good. Uh, and, you know, I just say check it out because there's a whole repository there. It is going to greatly broaden your understanding of nice. current events to get a handle on these things. Very nice. Once again, thank you, James, and I'll talk to you yeah. again very soon. You got it, Michael. All right. Good night, my friend. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And there goes my guest, James Fetzer. Always fantastic. Always a great guest. Never a dull moment when Mr. Fetzer joins us here on End of Days. Now, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. To wrap up the program, your calls are needed. You're more than invited to come and hang out before I wrap up the program here. It's been a great night. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here. It's so great to see so many of you still out there. Fantastic. I've got some news to go over, but before I do, I am joined by another soul. Is it my turn now? <laughs> it's your turn. What's going on? Hi. Yeah, how's it going? Always oh, going good. For those oh, who... it's good. It's going good now. Oh, Ooh. yes, and I agree. Um, for those who don't know, this is the Florida correspondent, the official <laughs> Florida correspondent. What's going on, Vanessa? Hi. I like that. I know. It sounds more official, right? Yeah, I mean, I sound very professional. I like it. It's all good. It's all good. So I take it you were listening to the earlier parts of the interview with Mr. Jim Fetzer, correct? Yes. Affirmative. And the later parts when it got good, like Ooh. when it got feisty. Uh, you know, I, I noticed something about Jim tonight. He was kind of, uh, he was sort of, he kind of was on fire tonight. He was, he, he was very in the zone. Yeah, you would ask him a question and he would like give you like a bunch of answers. I would ask, good. I would ask him one thing and we would go into five different, different universes completely. Yeah, and that crank call or that call, I guess. Did you like that call? What, what, what do you have to say about that? Um, I mean, I, th- I thought it was good. I think it shook things up. <laughs> it, it really came out of nowhere, right? Yeah, I don't think he liked it at all. Oh, no, he was pissed. I don't think you could, you were able to hear it very well because there was a lot of noise, but if you're, like, on the outside listening, he was pissed. Was he mad? I couldn't really tell. There was all sorts of um, cross crossing of the audio going back and forth between the caller and uh, Jim Fetzer. But, by the way, if you feel like calling in, that number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. So much going on around the world and in you our like own that, backyards. Right? That number, you like saying it? I really do. It, it, it's, um, well, let me, let me, um, let me drop some knowledge here on you. 
that number, <laughs> that number three three two eighty seven twenty four, it is actually one number off from my actual phone number growing up. Oh, so you like it? It's extra special. It is. It has meaning. Oh, I see. So once I saw it, I thought, oh my god. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. Obviously, I thought, now, now that is fantastic. Yeah. What are the chances? Mm-hmm. So anyways, that is the number, and I can't believe we are this far in 2018. Um, what are you going to say about that, Vanessa? Um, time flies. Isn't that, ama- it. isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It's already, we're almost I know, in August. I want summer to end already. Summer is terrible. It's so hot. It's like, right now, it's like 80-something, and it's nighttime. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's definitely not good. And. Mm-hmm. One of the stories I read this week that comes out of Florida, um, apparently the beaches have reopened after two apparent shark attacks took place in your area. Really? I didn't even know that because I don't, I mean, you know, I don't go outside. There's something called <laughs> Fernandina Beach. Um, I don't think that's that close to me, but yeah, I mean. Well, apparently that's where these attacks went on. Um, I would advise not to go out there. Yeah, I won't. I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, or uh, some sort of thing pulls you into a bush. Well, I'm actually scared of, um, I'm more scared of, like, alligators. Or an, than yeah, I am. or an alligator. Yeah, those are scary because, you. I mean, there's a lot of canals. I mean, you never know what's in a canal anyways. Some dead bodies. Alligators. <laughs> I know. It's, it's quite amazing, really. And, of course, there was another uh, story out of Florida uh, some sort of man with with no arms who allegedly stabbed some sort of tourist. Yes, I mean someone was asking him for an address, and he stabbed them without arms with a scissor and like without arms. Like how do you how does he do that? And he was he's supposedly like a crackhead. So how does he do crack <laughs> without arms? There's a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. There really is. There really is. Apparently, he uses his feet to paint. And apparently he allegedly used his feet again to stab uh, this uh, tourist by the name of Caesar Coronado. Wow, yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, we all got skills, you know? I Apparently. I, I think holy hell, though. That's, well, that's how quite... Do, like, how does he do, like, crack and stuff? <laughs> that's a great question. I don't even know. Holy hell. I guess if there's a will, there's a way. That's a great point. I mean, if you really want something, you're going to get it. Exactly. That's, that's the I way it works. That. Yeah, that's the way it works in life. That's really mm-hmm. the way it goes. And, of course, the CDC warning about Kellogg's Honey Smacks, a cereal that I like. But I, I haven't oh? eat, yeah, I haven't eaten that cereal in years. But apparently they don't want you to be eating this, some sort of uh, salmonella outbreak. Apparently, yeah. apparently 100 people were infected. Wow, honey smacks. I haven't had that. I don't think I've ever had that before. It's been about five but years. You're a cereal fan. I'm a big cereal freak. That's true. Yeah, like if, if those that don't know, Michael loves cereal. <laughs> I can't stop. Mm-hmm. I really can't. It's um breakfast soup, but you have it at night. I have it at night. I have it sometimes in the morning, but it's mostly at nighttime, actually, when I actually eat the cereal. That's when it tastes better. Oh, for sure. That's when everything seems to taste a lot better. Ooh, okay. Oh, that's right. (laughs) 
That is true. And of course, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Harvey Weinstein. All of that great news coming out from that camp. Oh, when he when he said like his statement. Mm hmm. Apparently he was um, interviewed and he said some things. Um, but now there's some retractions now. Oh, yeah, apparently he was saying, yes, I did offer women acting jobs in exchange for sex. But so did and still does everyone. Every, yeah. I actually don't think he's lying about that. I'm pretty sure that's actually a very accurate statement. Yep, me too. And I'm sure it's like no, the normal there. Right. But then there's another article that came out saying that that's not what he said. No. No, but who really knows, right? I, I Everyone's <laughs> like, you, you just don't know who to believe nowadays. Yeah, that's why no one believes anything. So pretty much the Me Too movement makes no sense at all, and it's like it's not even like nobody even cares anymore. So yeah, here's the thing: the <laughs> Weinstein's lawyer he denies he admitted offering women acting roles for sex. Um, this was the most recent article that came out, but yeah, I think that's that's um I think that's probably something what he had to do right for damage control. I mean, he admitted, but then he's also pleading not guilty. So who knows? I mean. <laughs> It's a whole web of lies in my in my opinion. But I don't think he should like go to jail for that. So You don't think know. he should go to jail? No, I don't think so because I mean he it's not like he raped anybody. He 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 just like, you know, he made deals and they took them, you know? He also took a shot at uh, Rose McGowan. Our yeah, our beloved you're Rose a McGowan. Fan. I know I'm, you're I'm a, a huge fan, fan of hers. Well not really, not not too much. A little bit, maybe. Maybe you liked her in the nineties. I, I, well, I liked. I like that she goes crazy nowadays. I think it's entertaining. Yeah, she's. Have you seen her? She dyed her hair blonde, and she has like really like a buzz cut. Ooh. Yeah, it's. It, she looks really weird. That's strange. She's kind of scary. She's a weird I one. Yeah, I wouldn't sleep next to her. I wonder what's going on with the whole cocaine thing and her. Yeah. I mean, she said it wasn't hers, but oh, whatever. Oh, God. How many times have we heard that? I know. That's not I was holding. I was holding it for a friend. Yeah, I was holding it. <laughs> but apparently she's in trouble for the cocaine possession, and I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen with her. Yeah. She's crazy, though. She's. I think she's insane. Yeah, I, I just don't believe her. No, I don't either. I think she's. it's all because... Um, she was like promoting a book and it worked out, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what's going on with her. Um, perhaps that's kind of what her motive was trying to push this book, but, uh, apparently a couple months back she was caught with cocaine for those that don't know. Apparently, yeah, yeah apparently there was, um, the drug. She left her, her wallet, not like on a plane or something. Yeah, in the airport. Yeah. And of course that's when she said she, Someone um, planted it on her. <laughs> yeah, she said, "Oh, I don't oh, do boy. that. I do, I do weed or whatever." Like that's what she said. that was her cover up. That's such a weak excuse. That is a weak excuse. Yes, I agree. It really is. It really is. And um, there was another thing I did want to ask you about, and I, I realized and noticed that you were really into these top five videos on YouTube. I noticed that they're very popular. Um, yeah. this, this series, and it doesn't even have to matter what the subject is. Anything with, with the regards to top five, that's going to be some sort of like popular video on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I watch 
top five. I watched top fifteen. <laughs> I watched all of them. Yeah, you see what I, I mean. Like the, they usually repeat. They're usually like the same. Uh, aliens, um, ghosts. You know. Yeah, you usual. like that. Yeah, you're really into um, aliens nowadays, right? Yes, I, I am. I want. I want to leave. <laughs> I know you want to get abducted by one of these things, right? Yeah, you know I'm into that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's hilarious, and um, I don't think I don't think if I ask you, you're going to remember any kind of specific case um, in terms of UFOs or anything of that nature, right? Well, I don't really. I mean, I don't believe any of the new stuff because I know everybody. You know, everybody wants to be famous. And the new there's stuff. So many. Yeah, the new stuff. That's hard to believe, right? Yeah, and then there's like everybody can do some Photoshop, some like amazing, no um, shit, you yeah. know, some editing. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't really believe the new stuff because people are just trying to become famous. Yeah, but there's, the there's so stuff, many, there's so many videos on YouTube nowadays that, um, they claim this is, this is, um, the smoking gun. Uh, you know how it goes. The, the whole clickbait sort of topics or, yeah. um, titles out there. Yeah, but some of them are just very obviously like some of really them are just so fake. Fake, right? Yeah, you're like fake, fake. You're watching and you're like, oh, this is so fake. Why are they even showing this? Yeah, it's it's horrendous. But of course, again, um, you don't know any specific cases, right? Uh, no, no. I mean, okay. not from the top of my head, you caught me off guard. No, it's okay. But like the ones I believe are, you know, like the the older ones, the and old, like mass yeah. sightings and mass sightings. Okay. That's what I believe. Yeah, I don't believe some guy in his backyard that sees this, <laughs> but I do believe like if a lot of people say that they saw it, right. I believe that. Yeah, I believe you. Yeah. Like like the whole Phoenix Lights incident, right? Yeah, that one's. I believe that one. That one's cool, right? Too many people. That is very cool. Yeah. Yeah, that one. That one still sucks me in, and the school one. The, the one you, you yeah, the school one. That's that's another one. That's there's been a, a number of UFO cases that I've always liked, and of course. Um, the most credible in my mind has always been the the mass school sighting where 62 school uh, children actually, yeah, it was 62 uh, school children. And the story goes that they saw something in the sky and they saw something land. And and they all agreed. And they all yeah, and they all had this story. Yeah, that was real. I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you. I'm not sure how you would get so many kids to agree, uh, to agree upon this sort of this elaborate scheme to try and manipulate people out there. It just, I just don't see it that way. Yeah, especially kids. It's hard. I mean, anybody, it's hard to like everybody to agree on, on one story and, and stick to the story. But uh, kids especially, because, you know, they're flaky and shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's not the case of a child being under the influence of a parent. Yeah. It wasn't anything like that, and it's it's hard to imagine that this was um, a fake uh, sort of story. It's extremely bizarre, however. Yeah. I won't lie about that. That That's pretty damn bizarre. And, of course, the classic Roswell crash of uh, 47, that, that's something I think actually did happen. Yeah, I, I believe. Yeah, that one, I guess, yeah. I, I also believe, what is the, the mm-hmm. I always forget, the the Fire in the Sky one. Oh, that was a great movie. <laughs> is it really? They changed so much in the story, though. It's a good film. It really had, um, some of the some of the parts had nothing to do with the actual story, however. Yeah, and I, I don't like that they didn't show, like, the, 
Like right. they you, told the story, but the greys, but there was like other, there was like people, like tall people and did stuff. Did you, did you want to see him get probed? Of course, always. My God. <laughs> like, like South Park. <laughs> South Park. What, what a great show. I still can't believe that's still going on. Yeah, I love it. It comes back in September. Oh, there's a new season? Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, by the way, I have to also announce that the show is back on iTunes. That's right. Right, and now I know lots of people out there actually wanted the program to make a little return back on iTunes. So, of course, it's there in other podcast uh, forms. If you have an Android, I would recommend using an app called CastBox. Actually, you know what? I think I think there's a version for that for Apple. But let me tell yes. you, yeah, but let me tell you why. Um, if you are simply using iTunes, you're only going to get the um, the last six episodes. But if you use CastBox, you'll get a number of the older shows on the program, uh, from the program rather, on CastBox. So plenty of plenty of the earlier episodes are up. If you are using that app, I would I would recommend everyone out there to use that app. That's right. Are, are you using that sort of app, Vanessa? No, I I well I listen to you. Well, on oh, YouTube, you live. Oh, I listen yeah. to you live. Yeah, and I appreciate that. But <laughs> are there any other shows that you listen to? You don't have to be specific, but are are there shows that you listen to on iTunes or any of those sort of apps? Like podcasts and stuff. No, right, right. not really. Mm. Not not really. I, I mean, YouTube, YouTube, yeah, but not not um. Not, not, not podcasts, no. Understood, understood. And nothing is good, you know? Nothing is as good as, uh, the Michael Deacon program. Oh, I really <laughs> appreciate that. Now you're making me blush. Good, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And by the way, I have to say that, um, Facebook, it's another platform I think that's slowly dying. Yeah, I mean, I haven't had one since 2011. You used to have a Facebook account? Back in the day, yeah, and I closed really? it. I went through the whole, like, the whole hassle of closing it. Like, you have to wait. You have to do, like, a waiting period, and it's crazy. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about this yet again. Um, I, I still have Facebook, and I have it because of the show. Did you ever play Farmville? No, actually, I never played any of those games, but plenty of invites. Oh. <laughs> plenty of dumb invites everywhere. And I was just thinking, some of the people on my friends list, I've had, I've had them on there for multiple years and I don't even really interact with them at all and I haven't. And it reminds me why, why do I have, why do I have these people still on there? I mean, to see. I don't hang out with them. I don't talk to them. I don't do anything with them. And I've known some of these people for more than, uh, for well over 10 years rather. Do you have, do they post pictures of their babies? Of course, stuff? of course. They, they post photos of everything. But <laughs> the thing is, I don't even talk to them though, and I haven't, uh, for, yeah. for a long time. The only interaction I get with them is, is a like and something I, I post. Yeah, it's probably like, you know, curiosity, <laughs> curiosity. Well, I mean, they always find me for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that is, but. Um, it's not like I went out and, and, and added these people onto my Facebook account. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think there's like recommended and they price your name. Oh, no shit. Right. That's probably what it is. 
Yeah. I just think I don't. I'm not the same person. I'm not uh, a character in a sitcom. You know. Do you post selfies, Michael? Not at all. That's not my thing. I, I never had uh, a Snapchat. Oh. I, I never had one of those. I don't post on Instagram or anything like that. No. No, I'm not. You're, I'm not really private, about that. You're a private person. I'm kind of private nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. There are photos of me out there, though. Don't get me wrong. I've seen them. Yeah, you have seen them. They exist. But by the way, um, I, I have to speculate that Facebook might soon turn up, um, kind of like, like, uh, MySpace. Your favorite. You love MySpace. They might, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, his company might demise into MySpace, basically. Yeah, Tom. He's gonna be, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, he's gonna be hanging out with Tom soon. <laughs> yeah. And I know I said this in the past, but both of those guys, they have these very punchable faces for some reason, right? Yeah, I, I, mean, hit Tom, I mean, T- Tom kind of like he changed. He got like a little better looking over the years. I haven't seen a photo but, of Tom in so long. I did. I mean, he, he grew a beard. He looks a little bit more, you know, <laughs> Wow. he filled out a little bit more. Wow. I don't know. Look at that. Look at that. So but, Tom, um, he, he's doing well for himself now. I mean, I I guess. I think he's like, didn't he, he sold it like at a good time. <laughs> I would have to imagine, and by the way, we definitely are wrapping up the program here, and I do want to give a little respect to our international listeners out there, and of course, those current top ten standings and most listener minutes based on country, and of course, the UK was number one for a while there, for a few weeks. It was actually the number one most listened to based on uh, listener minutes. I, can you can you believe that? They were actually number one, Vanessa. Wow, they love you. The Brits love you. I can't <laughs> believe it, but guess what? Number one now is the United States. Aw, you're home. Yeah, the U.S. showing me love. So, of course, the U.K. number two and Germany number three, followed, followed by Canada, India, and the six unknown, then of course, is Pakistan, Poland, Iran, and of course, Australia. You wow. Know, I, I trip out. To be honest with you, when I think about it, I can't believe these other countries have joined in on the fun. Like, there's somewhere, there's like an Australian listening to you right now. That's crazy. <laughs> it really is. It's quite fascinating. And Vanessa, I have to definitely say thank you for being a part of the program once again. Um, are, there, are, are there any final words before I, I cut you loose here? Hmm. You always catch me off guard. Um, no, that's it. <laughs> that, that's it. No, no words of wisdom, nothing fun, nothing, nothing of that nature, huh? Um, I, I love, I love the show. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Thank you for uh, listening all the time here on the program. It, it, it means a lot. I know. I mean, I've been listening for like two years now. I know that that's another thing you've been listening to the program for so long now. I'm hardcore. You are. You're, you're definitely a hardcore, and I appreciate that very much. Not many people can say that. Wow, good. I'm doing something right then. Of course, and a special shout out to those in the chat room. Really do. Ooh. Yeah, I'd love that. Really appreciate those out there. Gotta appreciate Brig out there who's been holding it down in the chat room, and of course. Uh, 
Sheffist out there. I really appreciate that. And I think that's, um, I think that's Andy actually posting in the chat room. Oh, Andy. He's been acting crazy, <laughs> of course. He's been out there. He's always crazy. Yeah. And, and everyone else that was in the chat room, I do appreciate you guys being, um, there listening to the show. It's been fantastic. And Vanessa, did you like the program overall? I did always. I always like it. I it never have a complaint. It didn't stink on ice. It wasn't terrible. It was. It was cool. It was really cool. There was all, it, all the emotions. It was fun. It was sad. It was exciting. <laughs> yeah, that you know, that's the sort of thing I do like to hear. I'm glad you liked the show. I'm glad it wasn't a stinker. No, never. It's never stunk. Fantastic. Well, once again, thank you, Vanessa, for being a part of the program. I do love bringing you on. All right. Thank you. Love you. Love you a lot, <laughs> Vanessa, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. All right. Good night. And there we go, of course. A special shout-out to Paranormal Form and The Fringe FM. Great folks all over the place. And if you are listening to this on a replay, keep in mind every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, on the TuneIn Radio app, and, of course, if you enjoy this program and want to help fund the program, go to michaeldeacon.com and click the Donate button there. Any amount is fine. Just keep in mind this program completely depends on its listeners. That means you sitting there. Be a friend and share the program. I'm Michael Deacon. Thanks for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time. Good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I have no idea this shit exists before 726. Oh, Granny. I like Granny. I'm going to keep you real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, yeah, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. Uh, you, guys are, you guys are really big. Yeah, Mr. Rusev. That son of a bitch. I, I like that, man. It's, it's the simplest shit. You go in there, you see the bud tender, you say, what the fuck do you have in your pocket? What the fuck are you going to be smoking time about midnight? That's what I want. Just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you both that you have From one of the most here. incredibly well-rounded shows. Uh, other than 22 years old, still virgin. Guess what, Malafé? Successfully. Hello,